Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger, and joining us today is a good friend of ours, the co-host of the Eye of the Duck podcast and writer for Esquire. Uh, you guessed it, it's Dominic Nero. Hi, everyone. I'm back. I've returned. We are celebrating the launch of Forza Horizon 5. <laughs> and uh, Dom, you, if, I feel like you only come on for things that have uh, an emphasis on the Z. So it's, it's nice it's nice to have you back for Forza. Last time I was here, we were talking about Zant, the uh, villain. We from- is a bit of an overstatement, Dom. <laughs> last time we were on, I think we talked about Wii Sports last summer. Either on the show or behind the scenes, you have become sort of the power behind the throne in the rise of Forza Horizon <laughs> 4 and 5, or colloquially known as Za, which I need to say, you kind of hypnotized me into trying this game, because I think that like in, in doing the show, I think Brendan and I have both adopted a philosophy of like not being beholden to what's coming out, but always kind of pushing ourselves a little bit past what we expect to like and enjoy. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes the best episodes and the best like game experiences come out of us being like, I have no interest in this, but there's enough curiosity that I wanted to just like see what's up with this. And sometimes that leads to things like Brendan falling in love with Dragon Quest or me falling in love with Gravity Rush 2, just like taking chances on things. And like, I don't have any like car lover DNA in me at all. <laughs> Neither do you know, I. Like, I just want to make that clear. I, there are people in my life who will like walk past a car and like whistle and be like, oh yeah, look at the wheels and doors <laughs> on that one. Like, I don't understand what makes a car exciting or interesting. I can respect the engineering from a distance, but like, nothing about cars excites me at all. Whenever there's a game event where there's inevitably a new car game, that's my cue to go to the restroom. Like, it's like always like, okay, they're going to spend 20 minutes on this car game. I'm going to go take a break and then come back for whatever the final announcement is. But all that to say, like, because I just have zero interest and because you were saying such positive things about Forza Horizon 4, I gave it a shot sometime last year and I really liked it. You know, it's still not like the genre that pulls me in, but I really enjoyed my time with it and I really respected like what it was doing and its approach to to a open world racing game, which just feels like sort of the next step for that genre. Like weirdly enough, the only other game I can think that was an open world racing game was Diddy Kong Racing. <laughs> and that's really like my my history with the racing genre is very much just like Mario Kart and Diddy Kong Racing. So like the the games that strive for, I guess, more like car enthusiast realism have never interested me. I think what I really liked about Forza Horizon 4 was sort of this really delicate balance between like being more like Gran Turismo, but also having a little bit of like cruising USA, crazy taxi, yeah. arcade vibes. Um, and that that sort of like not taking itself too seriously, just sort of like joyously celebrating racing and letting you just sort of like explore this beautiful world and like do whatever you want within it. Like I found that to be a very zen and exciting experience. So I really liked four, which I think set the stage for me actually having an active interest in five. And five is out, and I'd love to hear how you both are enjoying it so far. Unless you want to also share how four <laughs> was for you and all that kind of stuff. Can I just say about the history of, of Forza with our friendship, Steven? <laughs> Please, I feel like <laughs> yes, yes. I won't please go, go too long. So, I, and I think you guys discussed this the last time you talked about Forza. 
Stephen, you and I and our friends from college are on a group chat and sometimes people talk about video games on there. And I don't know why I feel bad at this point, but at the time it was just like funny to talk about Forza. Like, you know, in our group of friends, we often find like one thing to, okay, I, (laughs) I'm going to keep saying we, we found Forza, a game that I think none of us expected to enjoy, especially for me, I thought there's no way I would, you know, there is a genre of video game fan, at least from my perspective, who is like FIFA, Call of Duty, and then, you know, games like Forza in my, from my perspective. And I just have never really, I've never really felt part of that community. Forza was one of those games, but as we kept talking about it on this group chat, at one point, um, I got a Xbox Series S and Forza was there. So I first played it just kind of as like, oh my God, I'm going to play Forza. How funny will this be? But I have to say, it really sucked me in. And I really, at first, it was like, this is the funniest bit. Like, I'm actually going to get really, really into Forza kind of as a way to like torture Steven. Yeah, you you would just text me at like midnight, like, what can I say? I'm a Zahead with like the tears emoji. And like, I just didn't know what to make of what was happening. But then at some point, Forza really, like the bit became life. Real. and, and it, Yeah, you the secreted Forza into your life, yeah. I mean, it was almost like when I, maybe like in 2015, I thought, how funny would it be if I got a pet tortoise? And I did. And then like, you know, like five years later, it's like I have a pet tortoise whom I love and care about deeply. And yeah. I guess I got it, him as a joke, but now he's a part of my life. I don't know if other people discover video games in this way. <laughs> but so Forza came into my life that way and I played the hell out of it for hours and hours and hours during the pandemic. I found it to be a very like peaceful transporting experience to listen to audiobooks and podcasts. Oh, totally, yeah. And here we are, Forza Horizon 5 is here. I weirdly did have a similar entry point into the Forza canon. When I got an Xbox 360, I I got a version of it that came with Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 and Forza Motorsport 2. This is pre-Horizon era Forza. This is when they were like still trying to be Xbox's Gran Turismo was kind of the idea. And yeah. all of my friends and I got the same Xbox 360 bundle. And we were like, wouldn't it be so funny if we just got like really into this fucking car game that we all got for free? And lo and behold, <laughs> that summer was spent like not sleeping, playing Forza all the time. <laughs> yeah. And that wasn't even like the fun outdoorsy open world version of Forza. That was like just go on a circle and race version of Forza. And we were like still staying up as late as possible uh, playing that game. So I, I weirdly... As much as I also am not really like driving game car guy, I, I do have this strange affinity for Forza as like a franchise going that far back. And the first Horizon game I picked up was three on the Xbox One. Mm-hmm. A- at the time, the Xbox was kind of my like solitary, like lonesome gaming experience. Cause I feel like anytime if I logged onto the PS4, there would be like a bunch of people who would message me and be like, Hey, do you want to play this? Hey, do you want to play this? Hey, do you want to play this? And like, I can't say no, cause it's always fun to do that. But sometimes it's like, Oh, I want to like chill out. And my chill out game was Forza Horizon three for a yeah. long time. Um, that one took place in Australia and, uh, was real good. Uh, or was that the third one? It doesn't matter. I played whatever the third one was. And as much as I loved that experience, I couldn't help but think while playing it all the time, like, man, I really wish this was more like Burnout Paradise, which like really uh. like of all the car games that have ever existed, I feel like Burnout was like peak 
just not giving a shit because they wouldn't even put real cars in that game specifically so they could just beat the shit out of them. Like they just like really wanted to uh, drill down on like uh, hood crumple mechanics and physics uh, and just have you like open world. So none of them were until Burnout Paradise. That was their one big open world one, which really feels to me like the blueprint for what became Forza Horizon in a way. Wow. Burnout Paradise was like, what if it was Forza Horizon? But anytime you crash your car, it would like literally explode like it was a fucking bond movie which honestly ripped that game was so good and i had the experience that i feel like i hear a lot of people having with forza horizon 5 and and 4 and 3 like with burnout paradise that was like i remember that was the year like good kid mad city came out and i just would stay up super late driving around the fictionalized like version of miami that they made for burnout paradise just listening to good kid mad city and smashing my car into fucking tankers it was sick but anyway that having been said every time a new forza horizon game comes out i play it and i'm like i want this to recapture the burnout thing and it kind of doesn't because they can't because it's like no this is an actual mclaren like you can't destroy it in a fit of rage (laughs) uh that said forza horizon 5 is doing it for me this is like as much as i liked 3 and it was kind of like a zen experience like 5 is the first one that i feel like has surpassed even my highest nostalgia points for burnout paradise and the rest of that franchise uh it is a good ass video game Period. Yeah, I'm liking it. Uh, It's very similar to 4. It's worth noting that, like, it is essentially 4 in a new place. Yeah. But there are enough like tweaks that I find it to be a little bit, a little bit more um, parsable. I I was so fucking bad at four. I don't think I've ever been (laughs) worse at a game. Like I couldn't turn like ever. I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I was constantly crashing into stuff, which makes it so funny going into five because five begins and somehow the game knows your name, which is, is supposed to be cool, but it ends up being very unnerving. They're like, it's Steven! Like before they even ask for my name, like, oh, shit, what the hell? They have my face data and everything. Um, then everyone's like, oh, yeah, Steven's like the ultra big shot star racer from four. Like, we heard what you did in the UK. Like, we're really impressed. I'm like, dude, all I did in the UK was crash into cabins in the countryside. Somehow got points for for it and I came in sixth in the dirt race after like hours of rewinding time. That's like not worthy of, of celebrating Steven, aka Zeus, which was my name in the fourth game. Uh, and I, I changed my nickname back to Zeus. And my license plate just says Zeus because why not? I find that this game reminds me of a short film I saw a while ago where uh, someone makes a deal with the devil so that like people can only applaud them. So no matter what they do, there are people like, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And like this game feels like that because you could be like spiraling off the road into the water and it's like, cool, great job out there. 200 points, which don't mean anything. It, It feels like. Like, it's not Burnout Paradise in that you're not... The most you can really destroy the car is, like, the windows will be, like, cracked temporarily. And even if you crash into other cars, like it is a painless world. Cause it's supposed yeah. to be, like, this celebratory festival. And that's kind of what I like about it. I like how sort of relentlessly positive it is. Um, it does feel kind of cult-esque at times. Uh, <laughs> Dude, and again, this like, is the thing about this game that I'm actually really gravitating towards more than anything. Because I, I yeah. feel like this is the first time that the Forza Horizon facade has kind of, like splintered for me because i i felt that way about three and four but something about this one in particular feels so fucking horrifying i just (laughs) i just keep thinking like what weird billionaire freak set this thing up and like 
paid off all the like police officers to look the other way. There are still real normal people driving on the roads as I'm going 200 miles an hour in my McLaren to get a smash tis uh, fucking bonus for uh, wiping out a bunch of cacti. Like this is this is a horrifying event. I actually I read this review uh, of Forza Horizon 3 on Giant Bomb. I think it was Alex Navarro who wrote it, who said that uh, this was Forza Horizon 3. He was like way early in this concept, I think. But he called the Horizon Festival a military occupation. Uh, which I feel like has never like been that. more apt than in this game for some reason. It yeah. just feels so bad. I don't know if you guys did the adventure mode bit where you show up on like ancient uh, ancient ruins and you have to drive around and like find like a crashed airplane, like bits of a crashed airplane yes, in these ancient yes. ruins. And when you find all of them, they just put the festival in the ancient ruins. And there's like people on top of the old pyramid, like just kind of cheering for you as you smash your car into the side of what is like ancient history that should be preserved. I was, uh, I well, first of all, in this game, your protagonist speaks. I don't think yeah. that's happened before in a, yeah. in a Forza game. Uh, right? <laughs> Actually, guys, a Forza game. If we really want to talk about the title of this game, it should be Forza, which is the Italian word for like "let's go." Uh, oh, is it? I didn't know. Yeah, that. so like, if you were like cheering for your favorite soccer team, you might say like Forza, you know, whatever the the team's name yeah. is. Oh, interesting. So this is wow. an Italian game. <laughs> okay, sorry to laugh immediately at that. <laughs> Anyway, I took a mission in this game. Uh, my character's name is Spanky, uh, which is the, the nickname I chose in the last game, which is so funny to hear the announcer be like, okay, Spanky's Spanky. back. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take you to the next dirt racing. Let's go, Spanky. Spanky. There's a new event in the arcade mode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they sent me on this strange mission to like measure seismology or, or like the uh, yes yes the volcano the, mission yes yes <laughs> i was sent to a volcano and <laughs> i'm like cruising around this volcano and i hit one of the little checkpoints and then there is this very like unnerving cutscene. and by the way yeah. i play this game um with the classical music soundtrack only? Yes. You do too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm listening to like In the Hall of the Mountain King. And Spanky is, I sent this video to you guys. Spanky is just standing in a volcano. You know, there's like the lava of hell behind him and he's just staring at the screen. And I guess the game glitched and Spanky disappeared. It's lava, and you're hearing like bum 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 bum. I I can't describe to you like the experience of playing a game that I have no interest in at all, but keep returning to for some reason. That's the perfect two sentences that I think sum up how we all feel about this. You know? Yeah, because the experience of playing this game and talking about this game are two completely different things. Because I feel. I feel like the more I speak this game out loud, the less real it becomes. And then yes. I sit down to play it and it is this almost like Zen adjacent meditation experience where I just turn my brain off for hours yeah. and just smash into XP boards. But I I do turn my brain off. But one thing that happened during the pandemic with, with four, you know, so we all have like our first car, right? And I have, I'm always through my life trying to 
recover the experience of driving my first car, um, which was a, a very shitty lipstick colored uh, Honda Civic from 1992. <laughs> oh, wait, for some, there was an era of the show where we used the Honda Civic as like the poster <laughs> child of mediocrity. And like, I just yes. love that that was your car. Yes. <laughs> There was a, uh, my dad kept putting those, I have an honor student bumper stickers on the back because <laughs> one of me and my brothers all shared the car and one of us backed into a fire hydrant. So he kept slapping stickers on it until the hole would kind of bleed through the sticker. Then he'd slap <laughs> another one on top. Um, so that was the Honda Civic and it was stick shift, which for like kids, you know, in high school is like horribly impractical. And I don't know why yeah. we had a stick shift car, but I learned how to drive stick shift. And for years I've been wanting, so like not really any interest in cars. Like I played the needs, need for speed games as a kid and enjoyed those. So I really grew to love driving stick shift. It's just like a fun thing to do. It makes you really feel like you're in control of the car. I've always wanted to drive stick shift in a car again. I don't currently own a car. So in Forza during the pandemic, I changed the control scheme where the right trigger was to shift forward and the left tr trigger was to shift backward. Wow. And it made the game even more immersive for me, which again, I was not looking to be immersed in a car game at all. But <laughs> all of a sudden I'm playing Forza, like, I don't know, like, I don't know how many hours I put into that game during the pandemic, but, and I'm playing, I'm shifting gears and I really, really became attached to this idea of like learning a new skill in a game and like getting really good at learning how to drive in Forza. And I think that for video games, that's one of the things that I really enjoy is like just really committing yourself to learning a new skill, you know? Totally. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. I also think that it's a strength of the series that like you could play this game like in first person and drive stick and like go into the menus and like fine tune yeah. your car. If you know what that is, I, I, I'm like allergic to that part of the game. Like I don't know anything. I'm playing this like crazy taxi basically. <laughs> um, and it's still really fun. So it's like, it's cool that they're, bo they're both avenues exist. Like you can play this game just like doing 200 miles an hour on your way to the next dirt race or you could like kind of immerse yourself into okay i want to really understand how this car actually works yeah and both avenues are, are present which is really 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 cool i'm glad that i just spent the past week playing every mario kart game because i feel like <laughs> honestly that prepared me for this uh in a, in a very big way i i love that this game as you were saying dom is almost uninterested in being about cars like i i feel <laughs> like if you're playing forza motorsport or like gran turismo those games are very interested in the car you're driving at the moment yeah. and in this one cars are literally like a thing you win in uh, like a shop right uh, capsule ball machine <laughs> which is so funny to me and very frequently you will be driving a car and like whoever your main character is mine is named sausage will just be Pretty like good. this car is disgusting which i think is great <laughs> like there's a, it's, it's almost like against being a car game at times but also has this incredible layer of depth if you just want to go and turn on stick shift mode like you did, which I really appreciate. We actually got a question that I, I think is maybe worth touching on in this case. Uh, somebody asked, let's talk about rumble. Controller rumble is enabled in a big way in this game. Do you think it's done well or how could it be better? I do know because I've, I've thrown into <laughs> stick shift mode once or twice. Like, yeah. The rumble is used very well when you fuck up shifting. <laughs> yeah. Which I really appreciate. That tactile feedback is really, really good uh, in this I game. I have like a, well, first of all, the rumble, the, the controller is rumbling so much in this game that I'm I'm constantly afraid that it's just going to like break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I, I do, uh, I was recently playing and sort of had that Luke Skywalker moment where I was, I kept losing the race over and over again. And since I kind of get OCD sometimes with racing games, like I don't want to rewind, I need to win the race. So I kept restarting the race. And I had that moment where I realized, oh, I have to stop looking at like the speedometer and like looking mm. at the gear shift and just listen to the car and listen to the, the rumble. And I'm like shifting gears <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm using this word. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have, yes. I have a way to play this game that I think makes it far more enjoyable for people who are not interested in cars. My, our mutual friend, Andy Martinez, opened me to this idea. So I have no idea how to tune a car, nor do I have any interest at all. And in this game, you know, there are, there are, I don't know, hundreds of cars to choose from, which even if you have no interest in cars, there are some cars in this game that are just insane. Like you yeah. can like get like a Model T, which is so funny. Yeah. Some of them are like jets, basically. Yeah. You know, they're like jets that don't fly. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, it's, um, it's everything in between. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I've, I've, with our, with the help of our friend Andy, discovered this really enjoyable thing where, okay, so you, you get as much money or experience points or whatever that is as you can. You go into the car shop, you pick the most deranged, like Model T, like, uh, <laughs> like, like turn of the century uh, industrial revolution car, which look insane. And then you go into the tuning setups and you can just download someone else's tune. Yes. Yeah. So just completely, you you know, there's like levels of cars. I think the highest class is S1 or S2. So you take like a Model T, which is probably like D or like F class, <laughs> and just change it to <laughs> S2. Someone has spent all the time like outfitting it with the perfect things. And then all of a sudden, your ridiculous car is going like 300 miles an hour. <laughs> and it's going so fast that you, you can't even control the car on the road. And you just do that process over and over again. You make enough money to get like a ridiculous like Aston Martin or something or a convertible so you can see your character <laughs> and you just max it out <laughs> and you're like flying off the ground for most of the game. I love the idea of like Spanky as a Victorian time traveler who like that's like the the Assassin's Creed plot through all the Forza games is like Spanky's day off like <laughs> driving this this toy car for the rich in like yeah. 1801 <laughs> down a volcano that's amazing i love that and just the comic timing of them being like okay spanky get to the next race let's go and then it just cuts to me like driving like zero to 300 miles an hour like, <laughs> listening to public domain classic yeah. music yeah <laughs> crashing through trees and houses and like people <laughs> and cars just destroying everything in my path and then reaching the race and being like great job spanky here we go it's it's wild that's so funny i do love that they comment on everything except for the destruction you wreak <laughs> yeah. upon this place it's so funny too because when they announced this game they're like we're setting this one in mexico it's going to be an extremely faithful and like well-represented experience <laughs> this is like gonna be just like so uh, such a heartwarming rendition of mexico like you're gonna feel so good about it and then the actual gameplay is you just fucking it up like that is yeah the experience this. of playing yeah, just, yeah, running over this, cacti yeah. getting smacked as, as a reward i just did i i right before we started uh recording i was playing and there was a skill song which is a thing sometimes on the radio the the radio dj will just be like this next song is a skill song which means that you just get extra oh, right. points as you drive around so like don't do any races or anything 
anything. You just drive around and like try and do like sick shit. It was one of my favorite songs of the year, which I was very happy about, uh, which I didn't even know was in this game. But it was a skill song. And I just went into uh, like this giant, beautiful field of flowers and did a donut for two and a half minutes and just like (laughs) racked up skill points. That's that's a horrible thing to do. That's somebody's yeah. flower bed that I just fucked up. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, sausage. I just, yeah, I love the dichotomy between like we love this environment, we love this place, we love the people right. here. Yeah. Like the whole opening of the game is like Horizon is all about family, and family is all about like loving the place where you live. And then you smash up a barn. I'm sorry to keep going back to that. I mean, I, it's so hard to not talk about with this game for me because yeah. like I keep thinking. These are all like wildly wealthy people who have like just kind of absconded to wherever they are. They don't have like real jobs anymore. They just have like amassed all the wealth they need. So they just like buy all these cars and they do whatever right. the fuck they want with them and pay off all the damages, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. I did and they're, just. They're dropped out of the sky, by the way. That's yes, how the, the game, game opens <laughs> with the like cars bombs. being dropped. They just yeah. dropped like bombs onto <laughs> this beautiful landscape. I just did a story mission uh, sometimes. So you can unlock different kinds of races uh, as you continue to play the game. They're called Horizon Adventures. But uh, within those adventures, if you continue to get those adventure points, uh, you eventually get to unlock stories for each of those adventures. So I just did one for the street racing scene (laughs) where it's like a cabal of the ultra wealthy, ultra elite who are upset that they didn't get invited to Forza Horizon 4 and have decided <laughs> to like take out their anger via the street racing scene and beat everyone in Horizon but not join Horizon purely because they didn't get a text message from another billionaire uh, inviting them to the last <laughs> video game. And I, the amount of questions that that raises for me, like I was doing this on stream yesterday and I was really trying to like be cool about it. I was trying to not just like launch into a fucking anti-capitalist time raid midstream <laughs> but what the fuck is going on with the horizon festival it's so confusing yeah, what is i mean it's a festival really to celebrate car culture and everything that the automobile industry has to offer just really people who love cars just <laughs> love to get together and just celebrate cars you know to me you know shell gas uh brendan has Carnegie left. steel <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Rockefeller oil like th- these are the names that spell family to me you know you can't spell family without fossil fuel am I right <laughs> <laughs> right Spanky right Zeus amazing job Spanky great job Spanky keep this, this like pollution like pouring all these cars <laughs> fucking terrible great job spanky Uh, the game is just about like being so in the zone and so happy and so at peace and then being immediately ripped out like somebody like (laughs) did like brought a cartoon cane onto the stage to rip you off stage to just tell you about the horizon festival and then you finally get into the horizon festival again it feels good again and it's just about (laughs) like that back and forth that's that's the horizon experience to me yeah i have a, a uh this is something that's been on my mind for a while and I don't know that it will ever happen, but I feel like a game like this is uh, talking about like blueprints for video games. I think that there could be a step towards this sort of game in Mario Kart. I, in my dream, there's a game called Mario Kart World where you, you know, you, <laughs> you select your character and, you know, it's just like a gigantic Mario Kart map with lots of races and it's open world. 
I mean, since like games like Diddy Kong have done that, I know it's probably on the table for Nintendo to like consider doing something like that. Mm. But I'm constantly thinking about what this world would look like if it was Mario Kart. I mean, who knows? Again, with Nintendo, like there's no way to guess. But I do think you might be onto something, especially because it seems like they've been experimenting with sort of like an open world format in ways with their other big series. Yeah. Like, Bowser's Fury kind of feels like that for Mario in some ways. And I think that like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, like it's very hard. That that feels like just so clearly the best Mario Kart as we know it. Mm-hmm. I do think it would be wise for whatever the next game is to like incorporate something else. I mean, I loved what Diddy Kong Racing did in terms of like adding that kind of adventure. It felt like Banjo-Kazooie with racing, yeah. you know, where it's like they kind of just replaced the verb of the game, but the structure was very much a Mario 64 uh, Banjo-Kazooie type adventure. Um, so I think that'd be great. I mean, I also, I just hear all the different Nintendo characters like <laughs> talking about whatever their festival is. And I, oh I want that so bad. <laughs> I know? do feel like we've already seen all the component pieces you would need in other Mario Kart games too. I mean, I, I know I just yeah. talked a lot about Mario Kart DS on the show recently, but one of the things I didn't talk about a lot is there's a challenge mode in that game that is like, you're in a, a go-kart, but you're doing boss fights. It's like, oh, fight Bowser like you would in Mario 64, but in a Mario Kart. Um, really? Which like, which game? Mario Kart DS? Yes, yeah, Mario Kart DS, yeah. Wow, I really have to try this. It's really, really, really cool. Good. And then like the balloon mode, the time attack mm-hmm. mode, like ghost uh, ghost drivers, things like that. Like all that stuff is stuff that would be the events you would do in an open world Mario Kart game like that. I would, I'd be very into that. I think that would work very well. There was also the Diddy Kong Racing game had cars, planes, and hovercrafts. Yes. yes. And like... Okay. If you added planes to Mario Kart, that would be... And we're going all over the place now, but there are a lot of <laughs> possibilities. And I think you're right to point to Forza as like a good blueprint of like what the future of racing games can look like. I also really, really love in Forza 4 and 5 the mechanic to rewind time. Yeah. To like... Yeah. To like, so basically, while you're racing, if you like crash into a wall or whatever, you can push Y and it will rewind like kind of Prince of Persia style, like... A few moments in the race and you can go back like as far as you want basically uh and it really helps in learning the game i found because like i'm like okay yeah. why wasn't i able to make that turn I'm yeah like, oh because i was going 200 miles an hour in a linear <laughs> fashion <laughs> i need to like watch my foot on the brake it also raises the question like what you guys are talking about billionaires in this car festival like can they also all time travel <laughs> Well, yeah, I think I think we've confirmed Spanky's a time traveler. So I think that like he's sort of given that gift to all other parallel reality versions of himself. So like that's why the player can rewind time. <laughs> I, I also wanted to say, sorry, I, I could go on about Zah for for hours. But <laughs> one other extremely funny and poorly thought out experience in Forza is enjoying this open world with someone else. I think I was telling you guys a little bit about that on our on our group chat, which is called A Place for Dom to Bother Stephen and Brendan About Za. <laughs> uh, so again, I was playing with my with our mutual friend Andy, and I was like, let's, you know, we're we're both into Forza, let's get on the same uh, in the same world together and, and enjoy it. And within seconds, you are like at opposite ends of the map. There's no <laughs> way. Oh, really? I, yeah. There. I, I mean, for in my experience, I don't. I mean, both Andy and I were playing in that way that I described earlier, where you just yeah. max out your car. So, 
in we're both in these like ridiculous hot rod cars and going like <laughs> like yeah i mean we're trying to drive on the road together i mean i don't know why it's not as if we are like encountering like obstacles and bosses and like battling things together as you would in like a, a online multiplayer game but uh, we're just trying to I just imagine like a 12 foot billionaire on the road like <laughs> tossing his drink at your car we're just trying to drive side by side and yeah within seconds we're on opposite ends of the map because you're going so so fast it's so funny yeah that's fun can you do races together yeah i mean that, i yeah, think that's, that's the way they that's the have intended draw, yeah. intended for you to play but we were trying to play it like <laughs> i don't know as you would play what's an online game that you would just like walk in the same i mean like when we play red dead <laughs> red dead online together just like being next to each other is fun you want to hop on xbox live and just walk <laughs> you want to walk with me i guess you could do that in gta 5 yeah but, i was gonna, I was gonna say Grand Theft Auto 5 is weirdly close or to second that. life you could just walk <laughs> yeah death stranding out. online death stranding multiplayer now that's a game well, this is Zeus, Spanky, and Sausage signing out from Forza Horizon Festival <laughs> in Mexico. We are so glad that you guys were able to come to the festival. There's <laughs> like smog coming out. <laughs> Thank you for everything, Spanky. See you next year. <laughs> is that Mac Big is. Carnegie, the steel monopoly tycoon? <laughs> <laughs> Only five cars could bring me down. Um, right, <laughs> Let's take a break. Let's take a break, and uh, we're talking about more video games. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to Into the Aether. We're done with Zah. Zah's in the fucking past now. We've moved ahead. We're talking about another game that I'm very excited to discuss with our guest, Unsighted, uh, which came out, I think, a couple months ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, it is published by Humble Games and developed by uh, Studio Punk Pixel. Studio um, Pixel Punk. Studio Pixel Punk, thank you. It is kind of like a uh, purposely retro pixel art style game that is very Zelda-esque and very like Hyper Light Drifter-esque in combat, but I think it's doing a lot unique to itself. And I've, I've played like the, the first like big dungeon, so I'm like probably like a three, four hours in and really enjoying it but i want to give the floor to you first on because i know this is like one of your favorite games this year yeah i'm happy i'm I'm excited that i can talk about it uh yeah. again i wrote an essay about it for esquire mainly because well no i mean it feels reductive to say just because other people haven't been talking about it but i mean actually because i really really felt attached to the game and I just wanted to find a place to like sort out my thoughts. So they, they let me write about it, but you know, I don't play as many video games as, as you guys, of course. Um, but I do get the chance to write about them for work from time to time when I can. Yeah. And because I do that at Esquire, I get a lot of pitches in my inbox from like PR companies who are trying to get writers to, to talk about games, which is a really cool uh, privilege that I have, which I'm very grateful for. But and I, so I often see a lot of pitches. And for some reason, something about this game and the way that it showed up in my inbox just like caught my eye. Like I saw, you know, pitch from whoever represents uh, Humble Games and the artwork appealed to me. And that might be because, as I said before, I don't play as many games. Like, I, I've not played Hyperlight Drifter. I, I know 
a lot of people have talked about this game and sort of highlighted how it is so much similar to so many other games, like indie games of you know today. So my perspective of it, I think, was a little bit different in that I I just saw a game that looked appealing to me. It does look beautiful, even even in a like saturated genre like that. Like it still looks like it's definitely uh, a standout visual game. Yeah, yeah, they have some really yeah. wonderful like animated, not animated, but uh, illustrated key art as well that they've been using to show off all the characters in the game. That's like really really gorgeous as well. It has like a pretty distinctive visual style on that front. I mean, there is something that caught my eye and I'm not sure exactly what it was, but then, okay. So I see like the trailer and the combat um, appeals to me since I really enjoy like combat heavy games. And then, so I I kept thinking about what is this unsighted game? I saved it in my inbox. And then a few weeks later, the demo came out and I kept thinking oh this game that I, you know, I haven't seen anyone talking about it, but it looks fucking cool. And then the first things that I saw written about it, about the demo, is that it had Majora's Mask like mechanics. And that really drew me in because, sure. you know, we all love Majora's Mask. So <laughs> then I noticed <laughs> and then I noticed that it comes from this studio called Studio Pixel Punk, which is an LGBT identifying women um, from Brazil. I think it's just two women. And I was like, that's fucking cool. Like I never yeah. hear I don't often hear video games coming from that community. So I played the demo and I was like really struck by it. Like this game looks like a game that should be very noteworthy. Again, I haven't played Hyperlight Drifter, so I don't have that much of a background, but the story really gripped me. So for people who haven't played Unsighted, um, which you should, the game is about a world uh, called Arcadia full of what they call automatons, which are like robots and the robots following a war with humans have they are losing their consciousness and the thing that enabled them to get consciousness is this thing called anima the backstory is kind of convoluted but basically you are playing in a world where everyone around you is losing their consciousness and that when they lose their consciousness they become Unsighted. That's why the game's called Unsighted. So you play as this this uh, woman called Alma, and it's worth pointing out that just a lot of people in this game are um, LGBT characters or queer characters. Almost all of them are women. And just right off the bat, I really, really felt uh, excited by the fact that just when they're just describing like the bosses of the game, for example, some of the bosses use they pronouns. And I just thought that's so like I used in my essay, I used the term quietly radical because like it's not um, it's just there. And as it is in the real world, some people use the they pronouns. So why shouldn't bosses in video games just be referred to as they? I think that's yeah, totally. cool. Also, the whole game, you know, which resembles, I think, to me, most closely a link to the past. It's as if a link to the past was just full of like women of color, some of whom are using they pronouns, some of whom are not not binary and uh, genderqueer. And I thought that was also really cool because we don't often, I mean, I don't often see video games full of people from that community. So yeah, you're playing as Alma and you are are tasked with collecting meteor shards, which is another convoluted thing that basically you have to go to all these dungeons and defeat bosses. And along the way, the Majora's Mask technique, I mean, the Majora's Mask mechanic that is going on is 
people in your in in like the people in the game, the NPCs, and even you and your like fairy helper are all on a clock. They're all losing consciousness. And once they hit zero, they will become unsighted and they will become uh, they will resemble one of the enemies in the game. So you see your friends around you start becoming monsters and it's up to you um, to collect meteor dust and to finish the game and um, give either yourself or your friends this thing called meteor dust, which enables them to keep their consciousness for a little longer. And you have to choose, like, should I give it to myself so I can finish the game? Or mm. should I give it to like the shopkeeper who is a really nice lady and uh, <laughs> we seem to have a, a history together? Uh, should I give it to the lady who runs like the pet store because she's trying to get a uh, she's trying to fix her sharp mechanical arm to make it something soft so she can rub the dog's bellies and she can't do that <laughs> with the nice. time she has less. Yeah, she she doesn't have enough time left, so you have to give her meteor dust so she can get that <laughs> that furry arm so she can rub her, her bellies i i love the way you're, you're describing this game i just want to really drill the point that like this mechanic is is really i think the most brilliant thing about the game yeah and that's what i wrote about in my essay yeah. i think that because it's basically like a tragic version of like stardew valley or persona where like there are these characters who whenever you give them the meteor dust like there's like a heart meter as well that kind of tracks like how close you are to that character and like let's say you give meteor dust to one of the shopkeepers like they might give you a discount on the items now so like not only are you extending the time they have before they turn, you're also like getting to know them better. And like you said, seeing their stories play out. What I think is really brilliant, too, about this game is that there's an option to turn the time limits off. Like mm -hmm. if you just want to play this game as like a bare bones, like because the combat is like it's worth noting. And I think we've had this conversation off the show just about like I never want to tell any creative person like what to make because like often we are driven to create something that is very popular. And there's like, there's always too many versions of the thing you want to make. I, I'm a big believer that if you make something that's true to whatever your vision was, it's going to stand out, even if it is on paper, the same genre as other things. Totally. So I, I say that because like, if I tell you there's a purposely retro Zelda-esque game with Dark Souls mechanics, you'll probably roll your eyes. But this game is so fucking good at what it's doing. And it so clearly has a unique vision for that. And I think, the fact that it has the confidence, like the game is called Uncited. The narrative is all about, you know, the, the backdrop of the game is sort of the red herring. The game is really about like the sacrifice the player has to make, whether they value themselves more than the NPCs, whether they value the main goal over exploration and what they're losing by choosing one. The fact that the game is like, yeah, you can just turn that off and just play it like a Zelda <laughs> game if you want. Yeah. Like, I think that speaks to the confidence in the actual like combat and the visuals and the music. Everything about it is so strong that I think that it's kind of, it reminds me a lot of Celeste, where Celeste is a game that is purposely very difficult and it is largely about overcoming anxiety and your own inner demons that feel impossible to deal with. And the game uses the metaphor of like climbing a mountain to equate to that task. And I think on sort of like the default setting of that game, you can have that experience of like overcoming crushing difficulty because of how the game is teaching you to play it and the joy you can feel by doing that. Or you can just turn on infinite dashes and just enjoy the game for everything else. It's yeah. there because there's so right. much more to enjoy. Yeah. I feel very similarly about Iconfell, which is another. Yes. That, that's like a very like Paper Mario adjacent uh, combat system, which means that yeah. it's heavily reliant on 
timing uh, and 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 uh, specific button presses at certain times. And you could just turn that stuff off entirely. You can you can adjust that. And you know, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is is mainly from an accessibility standpoint. But also, I think it's just an acknowledgement that people play games for different reasons. And and it seems mm-hmm. like I haven't played Unsighted, just to be clear. Uh, I haven't downloaded. Mm-hmm. I haven't started it yet. But uh, it, it seems like Unsighted is very confident in this specific decision making mechanic, but also just as confident in its combat and in its exploration and the other stuff it's yeah, pulling from. Yeah. And I, I really that, appreciate that. I appreciate that confidence in any release. Totally. That's the thing about this game that, you know, people keep highlighting like it is this metroidvania that bars from x y and z first of all i i am not uh too well informed when it comes to metroidvanias but i don't really see how this is a metroidvania yeah i mean it depends on how that that term i feel like has kind of become a meme at this point because it's yeah. used so often but i think like depending on how you define it this feels more like zelda yeah whether or not you count retro retro zelda as a metroidvania that I think becomes like a hot dog as a sandwich conversation that I don't really sure. find interesting. Yeah. But I do think that like <laughs> there, there is a little bit of Metroid. There is a little bit of Zelda. Like there's a lot of like classic Nintendo, which I think leads to the discussion of like, you know, the genre being a, a compilation of things, which is what a Metroidvania is at a certain point. Well, I, I mean, I, I get that like that is a way to um, talk about art in a way that people can can understand. Like people totally. are always describing movies as like this meets this, you know. And I keep thinking about this recent. Uh, every so often, I check out that guy, Video Game Donkey, and he he yeah. did that video about how. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It, it's hard to tell with him sometimes for me what exactly he's criticizing. But in this, he's showing video game reviewers saying that this game is a combination of like two other games. You guys mm-hmm. remember that video? I don't think I've seen that one, but okay. I, I, I've heard his like take yeah. on, on certain right. things. Yeah. So it's hard to tell for me if he's saying that the game industry is becoming more just, you know, two games mashed together or if people are criticizing games in this specific way. But I just think that's a reductive way to look at art and that like you know they say like don't copy just steal and i think that studio pixel punk is just stealing all the best parts of you know the the industry and in these kind of games for from my perspective from the past you know decade or so and putting them into a game in a way that really works in a way that's like really interesting and new and that's not even to say that like you know what to expect which with with all of these mechanics that they're stealing like the combat is legitimately just fun like that is the thing that drew me yeah. in first i i i really appreciate the story and the efforts they're making to you know be more inclusive in their in their storytelling but the thing to be honest that really kept me playing is like a fucking great soundtrack oh yeah Really good. It's on Spotify, which is yeah. good to know. Yeah, a very very stylish world and very stylish and fun um, combat that like teaches you how to play it and gets better as you progress. And um, a lot of the items that you get throughout the game open up new ways of traversal, as you would expect. But they're still like just very satisfying. It's like it reminds a, me of um, a little bit of Bastion in that you have like two weapon slots and you can like you start off with like a sword and a gun and it feels mm-hmm. like very familiar but then you can also just you can have just like two guns. The way each weapon feels is very unique and I love like you know this classic like it's very arcadey and fast. You're like dodging and striking. You have a stamina meter. It's like a faster paced Dark Souls in that way but I also think that like 
there's such attention to detail with certain things where like if you like strike a bullet at the right time you just like deflect it yeah if you both attack at the same time your swords like clink together and it's like like the sound and the feeling of it is really exciting and the i like the reload mechanic a lot too with the gun where like you have to push a button to reload and you have to time it right that will reduce the time it takes to get back into action so there's a lot of like there's a lot to understand and there's also a lot of room like there's difficulty modes and there's also like these things you can equip called cogs where like you can make something called the defense cog where like the next three times you get hit you don't take any damage Mm -hmm. so like i find when i'm exploring i use defense cogs i'm like i don't care about parrying and dodging right now i just want to like find where to go next and if anyone attacks me it's going to do nothing and they become very important for boss battles too you want to like get all the cogs you can get yeah um i think going back to your point about like talking about games as like two other ones i I think there's a lot there's like that's a very big conversation i do think that there's like a pretty benign version where like we can only really describe an experience by what we know so i think comparison is inherent to conversation and i also think like you said that like any artistic project is going to consciously or not be inspired and be taking things from other games. I think it only becomes an issue when the game is relying on the similarity. If the marketing yeah. and the intention of the game is we we are a combo of Fortnite, Dark Souls, and more. You know, it's yeah. like if yeah. it's just for the sake of that. Whereas a game like Unsighted is very clearly like they had a story and an experience they wanted to craft, and they chose this way to deliver that message. And I think it works perfectly because I think that something I, I realized while playing it and what I love about the sort of unsighted mechanic, the fact that every NPC you meet yeah. has like a X hours left uh, in the game. This is a very familiar idea to almost every Souls game. Like in Dark Souls, the equivalent of unsighted is going hollow where mm-hmm. every NPC you meet in that game is kind of like you're kind of in sort of a dark fantasy purgatory in those games. And every NPC you meet has like fleeting sentience and will eventually kind of become a mindless zombie and you see everyone's stories kind of play out that way and and they all sort of slowly become hollow and it's really sad in some cases because you meet characters who are you know really like helpful and want to help you on your journey you meet some that are just laughing in a corner by a bonfire uh you know and and you, you get all shades of that and you see how their stories play out and bloodborne it's more concrete of like turning into a werewolf or a monster right. kind mm-hmm. of in like a jekyll and hyde way and then in sekiro there's a little bit more of player control and that like every time you die and PCs start getting sick and like it will gate the progress you can make with them until you use something that heals them. So this is something that is in the background of Souls games. And I think Unsighted does a brilliant thing of like making that sort of sad, faded journey of all the NPCs part of the actual game and have more player agency and like who who gets to see their story through and who goes unsighted. Yeah, I, th- I think you and I talk a lot on the show about games that are inspired by Dark Souls and, and their version of yeah. that. It's just like having the bomb noise when you start the game and also bonfires and like yes <laughs> i've never seen a game inspired by dark souls that has taken that side of it like the the npc exactly. side of it um and and made that you know like oh what if that was just the, the focus what if that was put at the forefront what if that was the thing that caused people to say we're inspired by dark souls is is the fact that our npcs yeah. are dying and i really appreciate that they've taken those invisible timers and made them visible again i haven't played yeah it, but, uh, that that sounds great because generally speaking in the background uh, of dark souls games there is a timer that's counting down and i feel like you 
can only know how long you have for those NPCs by like hitting up game facts or something. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, is not exactly like player friendly, I would say. It also works as a really strong critique. It, it reminds me of Undertale and that both games are really kind of drilling the point that like everyone in this game has a life and is a character and like your actions will affect them. And are you giving Meteor Dust to yourself just to beat the game? Are you giving it to shopkeepers to get better deals? Or are you like me and you walk past the old woman in the farm who had like 30 hours left, which is like a half hour of the game. And I gave her my last dust immediately. Cause I'm like, there's no way I'm not coming back to this town and fighting this old farmer who like (laughs) has nothing for me, but I just like needed to know that she had a little bit more time. Mm. And the fact that that game made me feel that way without even like knowing who the fuck she is, she could suck. I don't know. I just (laughs) felt that immediate like desire to protect the town and the people I'm meeting. That's, that's a game. That's a thing that very few games accomplish. And the fact that this game is like centered around it and also is a great game. If you choose to turn that part of it off, it it speaks volumes to how great this game is. I'm very happy. I finally checked it out. I will say the first like hour, I think before you get the unsighted mechanic and the game is just the combat stuff, it's very gripping, but I was unsure like what was going to keep me there until that popped up. So I would say if you check this game out, it is on game pass worth noting. I would say play until you get to the village and, and the unsighted part of it is revealed. It's very early on, but it is like an hour in. And I think that's when Mm. the game will get its hooks into you as it did for me. The gear village. Yeah. Reaching the gear village, I think is important for in terms of dark souls games. And I, I don't, I don't 100% know why this game gripped me and every time I start a Dark Souls game I don't feel like any real like reason to continue because the dif- the difficulty is like so high like immediately yeah um but as like you were saying before Steve that like this game takes stuff from the background of those games and like kind of brings it to to the foreground and I have to imagine like like I I downloaded Bloodborne recently to try to check it out because I've a lot of people have recommended me play it and nothing about the way the game starts like it appeals to like my empathy I feel <laughs> and maybe that's like just my personality and in, in playing games that I mean it feels silly after talking about Forza but like <laughs> For me to stick around and play something that is extremely hard, I, I want to know like what I am fighting for and, and why. And I think, you know, I, I need to devote more time to the Souls games. But a lot of times when I play like like Demon Souls, you have that awesome cutscene in the beginning that kind of describes the world. But then I think part of the allure of those games from from what I understand is sort of just kind of like the empty sort of adventure of like, you are just like, some guy who is, you know, rolling encountering pest enemies and you, you will get you will get bits of story as you go along, but the story is not like the centerpiece. Am I am I right in saying Yeah, that? there's there's a minimalism to I would say every game actually if you want a more direct narrative, maybe Sekiro will be more your I was gonna say my, my two thoughts yeah. are Sekiro is maybe a better starting point because that is very much from soft saying, Hey, we've kind of nailed this from a mechanic standpoint. Let's see what we can do from a narrative standpoint and like trying to tell an actual story. I, I, I think that game is like crushingly difficult uh, in, mm-hmm. in ways that even some of the souls games are not weirdly enough though. 
and and I don't know this for sure, but just based off some of the preview coverage I've seen over the past week to two weeks, Elden Ring honestly seems like it might be the one. Because um, yeah. that game seems to be really trying to tell a story, is clearly very inspired by Breath of the Wild and kind of has that like extremely open world. Somebody somebody asked this, actually. Uh, I, I did like a call for questions for Forza and somebody asked if uh, Forza is the Elden Ring <laughs> of, of driving games. Um <laughs> Yes, it is. Weirdly enough, though, I, I do think that like Elden Ring might be the one for you if you like Forza Horizon 5, which is very silly. <laughs> I I would imagine it seems like, like you said, FromSoft is like they nailed this style of game that so many have sought to emulate. It seems like now they're just going in a more mainstream direction but like still it's forgive the comparison but it reminds me a lot of like modest mouse like when they like went mm-hmm. when they got like a bigger budget and yeah. were making like slightly more radio friendly music but right. we're still retaining like what they did early on in their career and i feel like from soft is doing that like let's do like a big fantasy open world game but like have all the flavor and the style of what you like about dark souls right um, they're just flexing now yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. I think that the earlier Dark Souls games borrow a lot from Shadow of the Colossus in their minimalism and in their sort of like indirect storytelling. So I think that I, I definitely get and honestly, like it's completely fine if they're not for you. Like it's that, yeah, that sure. possibility exists. Like there's no pressure to right. to suffer through them. I do think, though, that there is a joy um, the the focus in those games to me in Bloodborne and in, in the first three Dark Souls is like understanding the mechanics of the game alongside kind of slowly soaking in what has already happened in this world. And that's kind of the vibe of all of them is like the story kind of already happened. You're not really fighting for anything. You're sort of exploring this like forgotten place like literally like dante's inferno but you have to fight everything there's no virgil Mm. to protect you (laughs) so that's a very like i've got to be in a very specific mindset for that um experience yeah unsighted rather is is completely as much as it's borrowing from like when you die you leave behind your currency and you can retrieve it there's like the dodging and the counter combat and there's the you know the unsighted stuff happening to the npcs you're given a very direct mission more in style of zelda where like okay there are five big robots with crystals you got to go get them eventually clocks tick and go do it you know and i think that that's like if you want an emotional incentive to play the game like this game is doing it and i think just the fact that they make your navi fairy companion also have a ticking clock is like cruel but so effective. I, I gave yeah. it to her first because I'm like, I, I need hints. I need help in this journey. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine doing this game alone without the companion. Well, you know? I've, so I've played this twice so far. The first time I went unsighted because it's a hard game. And yeah. like, I, I ran out of time and I went unsighted and it was very sad and the game just ended. The second time now I'm playing with a little bit more knowledge of how it works. And again, I lost my... Uh, you have like a Navi, I think her name is Iris, and I lost her. She went unsighted. And if you want to talk about like, you know, in my podcast, we talk about something called Eye of the Duck scenes, which is like a, a scene or a moment in a story that kind of defines the whole and is unique to the story in a central and, you know, and uh, important way. I think the Eye of the Duck scene in, in, this, in this game or, you know, the Eye of the Duck experience of this game is when you lose someone that's close to you. Like when you lose Iris, I don't know if this is a spoiler for your listeners, but just that when they go unsighted, it's not just like, uh, there's not this kind of dramatic transformation or anything that's like some crazy moment or cut scene. Iris will just be like, I don't feel so good. 
I, I don't think I can be around you anymore. Like I'm, I will be like a danger to you. And she just mm. floats away and it's just so sad. And I, I mean, that's why I, this is really like, I, I wrote that this is a game of the year contender for me in a major way. And I, I really do mean that because I haven't had that experience in another game. Not that I'm just looking for ways to make myself sad, but I felt so like connected to these moments and this feeling that like, you know, the whole world is on your shoulders is something that's always like hit upon again and again in video games. But this game really kind of puts that, you know, gives that to the player in kind of a human way that I think affects you more than say like Link to the Past where like, you know, you're the hero of time, but when there's a game over, like, you know, you just start again. In this game, like you lose your friend and you never get to talk to this fairy again. So yeah, I'm going through the game completely alone. And it's very sad. Yeah. It reminds me. I mean, I think I've often brought up that like games that allow the player to fail saving the world, quote unquote, by attaching that pressure to the cast. Mm -hmm. There's a pitfall of being cruel and of being like excessively um, kind of mean spirited about it or like, uh, oh, it's like all kind of grim dark. But I think that this game is so colorful and bright and the characters are so likable yes. that you do want to save them and you can save some of them. You just can't save everyone. Right. Like there's the friendly whale that we were talking about named I Cleo, love the whale. Yeah. Who teaches you how to fish. And there's a fishing game. Yeah. And they're they're like uh fishing is so relaxing. Some say that time doesn't pass while you fish. And it's like the one thing you do where the clock stops. Yeah. Oh which wow. I love. That's great. I mean yeah I, I think Mass Effect is a similar structure where like saving the galaxy is really about the crew you've built and the characters Characters that you, like, you as a player have gotten to know because like the world in a game is always an abstract idea unless we really get endeared to the setting or to the people who live there mm. it's just sort of like a MacGuffin yeah you know so, what it feels like yeah. for me is is kind of that scene in Ocarina of Time where you first come out of the Temple of Time as an adult and like all of these characters in in the town that you have come to enjoy like seeing dancing around have just become uh, what are they called? Re-deads? Re-deads, yeah. Uh, yeah, it has that feeling where it's very unsettling and it's legitimately like, I wish they were here with me because now I am alone. And Yeah, that, that that's like a, talk about that, that is very much an eye of the duck moment in yeah, the of time. Yeah. I think like having the childhood phase in that game kind of inform your attachment to the world and like what it's like to look through it with the lens of the adult character. It's very powerful. It, it, it very much like, even though it's a fantasy game, it reminds me a lot of like my own experience, like looking back on places and experience I had as a kid and seeing yeah. them now and being like, ew, this place is full of reed deads. I don't want to be here. Right. Uh, you know? And there is just one other thing. I, I won't go on forever about this game, but I could. Dude, have we, you listened to the show? We're good. You got <laughs> okay, okay. That's the conceit, my guy. Yeah. There is this one other scene or... A mechanic in the game that is. <laughs> I just keep thinking like your show has a very central and like solid vibe. It's like okay, we're gonna find the eye of the duck of the scene. And our thing is like, what if we talked as long as we possibly could? <laughs> our structure is basically playing Forza as a recording. We're just crashing into cacti and like, oh, it's you know, a perfect structure. talking about big steel and oil. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so as you get farther in the game and you're traversing environments, not only trying to defeat, you know, the bosses and 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 uh, clear out these dungeons, but also to find meteor dust. And meteor dust becomes more and more rare as you go. Right, along. that's the thing you give to NPCs that ranks up your friendship and gives them it gives them an additional twenty four hours, which I right. think which is in the lot. game is. 
I think hours are essentially minutes. If yeah, I'm something. Yeah, yeah, around there. So you will inevitably lose people. I don't know if they're. I mean, speed running. I think is sort of a central. I keep saying mechanic. I'm not sure what the word is, but like. I think the the game kind of wants you to run through this game as quick as possible if you want everyone to survive. Mm. So that's going on. But the way I'm playing it, I'm I'm not that good at like uh, puzzle solving. So a lot of people are dying, and so your world is getting smaller and smaller. Like your group of of friends and and people. Then and this I guess will be another like spoiler territory. But it's it's so haunting. There is this character that that pops up on your map in the castle or no in the cathedral i believe um another cool thing about this game is that like the dungeons aren't your classic dungeon environments it's like a museum and a uh aquarium and you know stuff like parts of the world you wouldn't uh usually think of as being video game dungeons anyway you go to this cathedral and you meet this character in the back of the cathedral who is very mysterious and has like a scythe and they say that um, if you want, you can extend your time, but they will extend your time by killing someone on on the map. So oh, wow. they, so you give them. I think it's money that you give them, or some form of currency, and they say, "Okay, who do you want to choose?" Like, oh, you have to pick. Yeah, so you pick, and when you do that, yeah, there's this very kind of haunting animation, and then they're like, "Okay, like, good luck," and and the person is gone, and you have extra time and and like that's another like who are you gonna pick like are you gonna pick like the guy who runs like the chip uh little lab who is like this really friendly person and uh who is always nice to you every time you run into them or are you gonna pick cleo like the friendly whale who teaches you how to fish like you have to pick someone and i think i've not tried it but i'm very fascinated you can also pick the person themselves like you can pick them to kill them and get their time. I'm not sure what happens, but uh, to me, that is just a very scary notion that you can also choose them, you know? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's a whole other layer on top of this. There's yeah. that temp- there's that temptation where if you can't, because all the uh, meteor dust is like kind of hidden. They're, they're where yeah, like treasure chest. They're where like heart pieces would be in a Zelda game. So they're <laughs> not like obvious finds. Mm. And uh I'm I've I've been a little bit too loose with my dust. I'll I'll be honest. I, well, I I'm giving it away pretty left and right because I like everyone. Yeah, you'll probably run out of time unless yeah. you're a lot better at these games than I. I like how that could be an ending. Like that could be like a satisfying, probably not satisfying, but that like that could be how one story in this game ends. Yeah, very interesting. I I also think it might be fun to like play with the time off for the first time and then like go back and yeah. kind of give yourself that challenge. I like how that's an option. Uh, if you don't want that kind of like emotional stress the whole time. The, this, the studio pixel punk devs are like very active on Twitter and I've seen them tweeting that like, this is, this is a game that's meant to be played several times. Like you should, and I hate to keep bringing up these gaming buzzwords, but like in the way that a rogue, like, like you're learning and when you die, I mm-hmm. think that this game kind of has that quality. And yeah, I just, I think that 
the reason this game is not getting attention is because the way that everyone talks about it is like this is another souls like that has zelda qualities that uh has metroidvania qualities it's another pixel art game with like a twin stick like dual stick shooting mechanics like i think that's where we run into this thing that like no this is a unique game made by underrepresented community and it's very unique and it has uh it has qualities to it that to me are are like extremely memorable and deserving of like game of the year uh mention and because it's buried under these layers of gaming buzzwords i just don't think people are looking at it because again like i get all these pitches in my email inbox and every other one is like another like pixel art metroidvania like similar to dead cells similar to hyperlight drifter this one comes from this studio and it's like I'm not going to play that because like every fucking game looks like that these days in the indie world. I mean, in, you know, from one perspective, but yeah, I think this game is very unique and I hope that yeah. more people play it. I, I have thankfully seen more positive press in more recent months about mm-hmm. it. Like I, I think I got a pretty good review on, on GameSpot and um, you know, that there is talk. I also think another big part of it is it's hard to get your game noticed, you know, like totally. yeah, on a, yeah. on a truly indie budget, like there's just so much that goes into that, that like, you could have everything going your way and it could still get buried by, you know, Forza Horizon 5. Right? Yeah, for yeah, the, the behind the scenes of, of, you know, how that email even showed up in your inbox is like, you know, dozens of hours of, of, of work. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, like that's that, true. It's one of the reasons that so many indie games find their life on things like Game Pass. You know, like Game Pass is the reason I think a lot of people will pick this game up and play it. Um, and, mm-hmm. and without that deal, who knows? Like it might have just kind yeah. of flown under the radar for the rest of the year, which is They're- kind of a bummer. And I think going back to what you were talking about, Stephen, like I, I think back to when I was in a band and we were we were getting close to signing a record deal and we needed to write 15 songs in like a couple months uh yeah which was like a horrifying prospect but that was like part of the terms of the potential of the deal and found out about this songwriting process which is literally you just learn how to play somebody else's song and you play it over and over and over and over again and every time you play it you change one chord uh and and eventually you just have a completely different song like you just change one thing about it every time you play it until it's something new that's kind of how i feel about these kinds of games. I mean, like Death Store is, I, I think, a really good recent example of a game that I think also was released under the pretense of like, you know, it's a top down Zelda like Dark Souls dungeon crawling, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, game that like got this huge, huge uh, community around it and, and, and a lot of buzz because of the stuff that isn't that right. Like everything yeah. that the game was doing that wasn't any of the ways it was described is actually the reason that people like Death Door as much as they did. And I feel like Unsighted is a similar thing. Like you can try and, you know, write an exact cover album of somebody else, but mm-hmm. you personally are going to unintentionally put your own spin on it. So for a team like this who said like we are going to focus on some of these things that are so prevalent in other games, but we're not just trying to make a copy of it. We're just using that as our bedrock for something more interesting is like great. I will always check out whatever that is. I think that's always valuable, even if you're trying to get as close as possible. Like, Stephen, a game that you and I fucking loved from two years ago was Remnant from the Ashes, which is like oh, yeah. as <laughs> as brutally close to a Souls-like as you could possibly get. And still, because of their focus on cooperative multiplayer, 
became its own entity entirely and is so separate. And its own like maximalism where it's like yes. it was just everything that it became <laughs> something. It was like you shoved every leftover you had in a plastic bag and left it in the fridge and it's become a new thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. But they also adhere to every single trope of a Souls game. They copy yes. everything <laughs> as blatantly as possible. And there'd be like Nietzsche quotes in the game over screen. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just by saying this is going to be a game that's focused on cooperative multiplayer it becomes a completely different experience and like sometimes you just need one small tweak like that to make your thing stand out and it sounds like unsighted is doing that like over and over and over and over and over again um and it's kind of getting buried under the guise of pastiche when it's in fact i think using that stuff as uh foundational elements for something better yeah i mean i wanted to use this chance here with you guys because I, i screwed up in my essay I wrote for Esquire, um, I didn't mention this incredible article on Kotaku written by Renata Price. Yeah, that's a good, um, that piece is good. Yeah. I also think there is an error in how Kotaku rolled this out because, okay, the, the essay is called Unsighted is the Best Metroidvania of the Year. So when I'm doing research for when I was writing about it, I saw the headline and I thought, okay, I don't really need to read about the Metroidvania qualities of this game. I'm going to skip this article. But when I was researching again here for to talk to you guys, this essay, I mean, is half about, you know, the game and half about this writer's uh, life living as a trans person with chronic illness. I don't know why that wasn't in the headline or the deck. Like from working at a website, I feel like I would have been like, hey guys, why don't we put that like right up top? Because that is definitely the most important part of this piece. Um, but I think it does speak to how the, this game has been treated overall, that like you want to highlight like those buzzwords first and foremost. Anyway, um, I was just really taken by this one passage where they say, um, Unsighted is either a game about transness or a game about chronic illness. I'm not sure it knows the difference. Some days I don't either. Um, and then they go to, to talk about how like, I take four drugs a day to keep my body going. I take this default testosterone blocker. I take this sleep aid for my narcolepsy. Seven pills and nine grams of sodium structure my days. I haven't taken this medicine in over a week because my insurance company. And I learned that there's this whole other layer to this game that just like existing as a trans person can sometimes require a lot of uh, medication and how like this unsighted thing about losing consciousness or losing you know the the body that you you wish to live in or or that you're stuck inside that is like a clear connection to the trans experience and also about chronic illness and how much medication that requires just to keep going it's a really really beautifully written essay and i i wish that there was a I wish more people knew that that was what the essay was about, but I think that kind of speaks to how this game has been received overall. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a powerful... I think it speaks volumes to how powerful the central conceit of the game is. You know? yeah, again, yeah. that is the thing that, even though it is sort of a a commentary on like a, a sort of background element of other souls games it's also like a strong literary device you know the fact yeah. that like everyone only has so much time and also it's kind of a you know another zeitgeist of this year was like time loop games and like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know reliving the same day over and over again and i think uh this is almost the inverse of that i think that that's very powerful especially in a game where like 
it's hard to make a game like this not feel frustrating. I think what ends up happening is every time you play it, you have to prioritize one thing over another. Yeah. And then what you learn is that the game has so many ways to enjoy it. You mm-hmm. know, like there is a version of this game where you just fish next to the wonderful yeah. shark funny. robot and time <laughs> doesn't pass. And that's how it ends. Yeah. Uh, in, in fishing purgatory. I mean, I'm on my second playthrough and well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to beat the game a second time. And uh, my experience this time has been way different and i still have not beaten it because it's so fucking hard and but it's rewarding and even with all of this other conversation aside just the game itself and the combat i think would be enough to keep me playing because the combat is so grounded and like so hard in a way you know that's like that tactile feeling of playing like very good grounded combat and um the counter is great and i feel like counters are in like all games right now but the counter in this game the animation the feel of it it's so especially on the switch too with the rumble and everything i i love it you're playing on switch yes i'm playing on switch i've been playing on on game pass but i might i might pick it up on switch as well because that sounds really fun i was considering picking it up on switch too honestly it's good it feels good on the switch i was just gonna say real quick the enemies do a great job of sort of telegraphing their attacks so like once you get kind of familiar with an enemy, you you sort of end in this sort of waltz where like you yeah. know their yeah. rhythm, you know how much stamina each attack has. It's a Oh, you're telling me this game has the good shit? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm in. It does. It does. Are you saying this game is good? It sounds pretty fun. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really I, I trusted like I trusted that I would like it, but I'm kind of blown away at how well it's working for yeah. me. And I think you're right. Like every every part of it is so confidently designed that like yeah. it, it, if even if it was just another game that was just like you said, just the mechanics, none of the yeah. extra stuff we're talking about, it would still be really good. But I think it's it's uh, elevated by the central idea of the unsighted like framing yeah. device. And just one last thing: when when you're playing this game, you are a robot, and what you're fighting on the map are other robots and you spend the first few hours wondering like wait if i'm trying to save like the robot race from the humans which uh, also is just very funny and cool and radical that like the humans are just 100 percent evil in this game and yeah. the robots are good which is very refreshing except for there's one scientist who like is sort of yeah, the mother figure good. but yeah, yeah for the most part yeah so you're you're killing other robots and you're wondering like wait like all of these enemies i'm killing and i'm trying to save this world of androids and then you see when your friends become unsighted they literally become these enemies that you've seen on the map so then you begin to play the game realizing that all of the enemies that you're facing are just former friends who have become unsighted which kind of like makes it kind of like a zombie game in a way but it's really sad well now i'm out (laughs) zombies again (laughs) <laughs> now that's pastiche. Uh, no, they're called Ridden. Don't worry. Um, oh yes, uh, it's a good game. Yeah, I, I'm excited for you to play it, Brendan. No, no pressure. But uh, I think you'll. I think no, you'll I mean, like I, look, we're careening towards Goaty season, uh, which means now is the time to catch up on all the stuff that I've missed and finish all the stuff that I've started. So yeah, uh, Unsighted is definitely going to be in in the playlist. Regardless of our episode about the game of the year, like it's an incredible game yeah, worth yeah. worth checking out. If anything we've said has resonated with you, I I would recommend uh playing this game. It's a wonderful time. Does Hyperlight Drifter kind of achieve this same stuff? Do you think I would uh, like 
I would uh, be gripped by that game the way I'll, that I am with this. I'll say this much. As a person whose name is in the credits of Hyper Light Drifter. What? I, I just backed it on Kickstarter. <laughs> um, oh, very good. I I have never finished Hyper Light Drifter because I found the difficulty got in the way of what it was trying to do narratively and thematically. Oh, um, okay. I, I, think it's, I think it's an incredible experience uh, thematically. I think some of the stuff they're chasing, uh, it's also similarly about chronic illness, um, is like really, really, really powerful. But it's... it's it's spaced out between just like crushing difficulty in a way that made me kind of bounce off of it. Uh, I was really bummed out because I, I was really excited about it. I, I mean, it's it has a soundtrack by Disaster Piece. The art is beautiful. It's like everything that I should have loved in a video game, but it just like didn't work for me uh, at the end. I actually haven't played it yet, but I do have, if you're looking for recommendations of games that yeah. are like, not necessarily like this, but sort of, I think you might also enjoy mm-hmm. uh, that, that Netflix because you watched section. Yes. Crosscode comes to mind. Uh, oh, it's yeah. A much, oh yeah. People have been recommending that. Yeah. It's a happier and funnier version of this. Uh, <laughs> it's largely about this, also an Android. Essentially, there's like a real real world island where they've sort of terraformed that island to be an MMO. So people like can control uh, androids with their mind and play this MMO like remotely, like from somewhere else, but they're actually embodying this robot on this island. Right. But the main character, she is a sentient robot that's designed to be like one of the players, but she's actually like able to operate on her own free will. And it's a similar kind of brilliant critique of game conventions because she is a silent protagonist, but she's a silent protagonist because she can't speak, but she has like emotions and thoughts and the facial uh, animation she has to things is so good. Like you always get a very clear sense of what she is feeling and thinking and she slowly gains the ability to talk over the game. But it's like really beautiful pixel style, uh, a really interesting story and sort of similar arcadey twin stick combat. My only issue, the only reason I haven't like finished that game and am talking about every day is that half the game is like that story. And the other half is like, you're actually playing the MMO on the island. And sometimes the MMO parts like overstay their welcome in between the story beats that I want. But all that to say, like, it's a really good game that I think might scratch a similar itch. And the other one, of course, if you want sad robot stuff, is uh, Near Automata. Right. Uh, yeah, which I think might hit you very hard and is uh, a masterpiece, in my opinion. Um, but enough about that. Yes. That's something where I have to stop myself. You've done that several times the episode. That's something where like, even I have to be like, okay, I got to chill on this. But those two, I think you might really like. And and uh, not only is CrossCode on Game Pass, but there's like an updated like for the Xbox Series S and X version of it. Um, oh. I'm not sure what that means, but it might just like run smoother. I don't know. But uh, I did, I did buy that and I want to go back to that eventually. I've been, I've been waiting to play Hyper Light Drifter because I want to play it on my iPhone 13 Pro Max with my backbone. Oh yeah. That I got because you guys recommended, which backbone, fantastic thing. Like we just did the gadget awards at Esquire and I gushed about the backbone on there. It's such a fucking great device and the app is great, but I need the, I need the uh, you need the adapter. I need the adapter so I can play. I want to play it on my iPhone. Yeah. So Stephen, we haven't talked about this at all, but the the backbone doesn't work with the 13 Pro specifically. Oh no! Um, because the cameras on the 13 Pro are so fucking gigantic, they've like <laughs> tripled in size since the 12 Pro that the backbone actually just like doesn't fit anymore. So they backbone the company has made an official adapter, but they've also released 
So they'll just send it to you. Like you could just email them and be like, hey, please send me one of these and they'll send it to you, which is cool. I haven't done it yet because they're like backordered forever. Yeah. Um, but they have also just released a 3D printing file that you can download for free and then get printed anywhere you want and just slot it in, which is, I think, pretty sick. So I'll probably do that because uh, I really miss the backbone. I have I got yeah. the 13 Pro the day it came out and I haven't used the backbone since, obviously. Uh, and I really, really miss it. So I, I want my here. iPhone 13 Pro Max to be like my main gaming device. And I have all the equipment <laughs> except that fucking little like knob. Like when I'm thinking, am I going to play Hyperlight Drifter on the PS5, the Xbox, the Switch? I just think it'd be so cool that I could just have it on my phone on this totally. perfect screen, a screen that's well better. I mean, it's way better resolution than anything I have in my house, yeah. including the Switch. And I could play it on the subway, but I just need that knob. I yeah. constantly think about, we had uh, your co-host and our dear friend Adam Volerich on the show to talk about Fable a few weeks ago. In full yeah. circle, I think the developers who make Forza are making the new Fable game. Oh my oh. god, I meant to bring that up. I'm so nervous about that game now. Yeah. Oh, are you? Spanky in Fable. I, w- I wasn't nervous until I started hearing the dialogue in Forza Horizon 5. The way, <laughs> the way people talk in that game, it's like, F- Fable is all about, like, smartly written witty ass comedy i mean it's generally just like fart jokes and stuff but like there is a wit to that game and to that franchise that uh is yeah. not at all zero percent prevalent or present at all in forza horizon 5 to be honest. yeah I, I, I wonder if it's like the writers are just like well we don't really have to do that here so we're not going to kind of thing yeah let's save our goofs and gaffs for fable yeah, um, but we'll have to summon Adam back. We got him. Don't no, 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 no. Uh, don't worry. We got him. We're just saving him. <laughs> um, Adam brought up uh, once he was like, we were talking about the 3ds, I think, and he was like, I couldn't get into the 3ds because I would get a text that looked better than the game I was yeah. playing, <laughs> which I think is just such a funny way to explain the poor resolution of the 3ds. But anyway. <laughs> Man, Unsighted is is a really great game. I didn't expect us to go this long, but I think it's just another testament to how great this game is. And uh, you don't want me to go another few hours? I can, <laughs> unless you have any party things to say about the no. game. Maybe we can move on to the next yeah. uh, section or whatever. Yes, I think I should say farewell. My fiance is is trying to clean up the apartment, and I'm taking it over. Dom, do you have anything you want to plug on your way out? Yeah. Yes. Cool. The Zodiac Killer. You want to plug the Zodiac Killer now that we know who he is? I'd yeah. like to put a plug in his head for all the people that he killed. Just kidding. Um, too dark? <laughs> I mean, he killed a lot of people. A lot I, don't of people. A, right. I don't think he's alive anymore. This is your no, he just died. We he just died recently. Stuff. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm in, I, I do not wish death on anyone, but I'm in, I'm in the true crime mindset right now. That's probably right. why I said that. Um, we are doing a series... Right now in our podcast called Eye of the Duck, which you can find on Twitter at Eye of the Duck Pod and anywhere you find your podcasts. Um, we're, we're talking about movies that are based on true crime events, including Zodiac. And yeah, depending on when this episode releases, uh, our podcast comes out on Mondays. So I think when this comes out, the Goodfellas episode will have just come out. Um, okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be doing that until December, at which point we'll switch to a new mini series and otherwise you can find me on twitter at dominic nero that's dominic with an i c k thank you oh, yeah. thanks so much for joining us this is so much fun uh yeah, you're always welcome me. on the aether if all right I, if I... i'll be back every week <laughs> <laughs> i do the mean always but <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, get out of here. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming. I love your show. Goodbye. Bye. And, and we're back. We're back. <laughs> uh, hey, just wanted to say thanks again to Dom for joining us for this episode. Thanks, yeah, he he was he was pretty uh, gung ho about Unsighted, but then also started texting us a lot about Forza. So it was like we should have him on to talk about both. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's both sides of Dom, just like incredibly thoughtful and genuine, and also chaotic evil. Um, yeah. So we got we got both. <laughs> Papa Za and regular Dom, uh, all yeah. in one. Um, it's like Zant with and without his helmet. <laughs> there's gentle Zant, the Zant we all love and know, and then there's the <laughs> Zant. Yeah, with the exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that was a good um, Zant. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. Thank you. We uh we had some other stuff we want to talk about real quick. Yeah. Uh, I don't think like full segment length, but at least wanted to touch on you and I have played Mario Party Superstars, which is wild. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I feel like you you had like sworn yourself to never play it, but I think a friend of yours got it. So you went and played it. Yeah. A fr- my friend Bobby, uh, shout out if you're listening, he got it and he te- he texted another group chat and was like, who wants to play Superstars? Which was the move. Because like, totally. I think it's a very, it's like being the healer in a party. The friend who's willing <laughs> to buy Mario Party and just be yeah. the one to have it. It's a great, it's a great call and a needed call. So I went over his place last night and we played, uh, it was me and uh, another friend of ours. Who's, I love playing Mario Party where it's three human players and one CPU that everyone just shits Everyone on. hates. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course they won. It was Wario on normal. Ugh. Did uh, they anyway. win? Really? Yeah. My first game of Superstars, the computer that we hated the most also won. Yeah. It So Superstars is kind of like a compilation of Mario Party 1, 2, and 3. The banana mania of uh, Party, if you will. <laughs> and uh, it, it's structured in a way that felt very nostalgic. I forgot how much I remembered about the opening of Mario Party where there's like that little like riverside village and there's the, the warp tunnel in the middle. And um, yeah. I think that like Mario Party as a series gets kind of written off and honestly about more than half of it deserves to be like critiqued in that way like at a certain point it was like clearly a cash grab and they just stopped caring like at all about them this game only serves to highlight that even more honestly yeah i because i think that i would say that the first four mario parties were like good games they were good party totally games. agree yeah um they were you know the mini games are always a varying quality but that's kind of the fun and it's always it's always catered a positive environment in a similar way to like Jackbox. I consider them, you know, they're both party games. They both have that mm-hmm. that appeal. And I think what was what was really a strength of the older Mario Party games in retrospect, especially one and two, were the levels. The boards were really creative, like Peach's birthday cake where you could plant piranha plants that would steal stars from other players. Mario Party 2, I think, had the best boards because they were all themed after a genre of like film or, or stories. So there yeah. was like horror land and western land and stuff so like good. that yeah and it is they're just fun games and there's really not much to say about mario party that like you know the minute you start saying it, it becomes vaporous it's just a fun <laughs> thing to have with friends it doesn't require a lot of attention you can kind of talk during it like it's it's that perfect level of like minimum effort that is just involved enough that you have a good time so i think that when super mario party came out on the switch in 2018 that read to me as like okay every sort of first party nintendo game on the switch has been like a here like we said last week it was like a best of compilation or like a new frontier for the series especially 2018 like we had just seen breath of the wild was like a year ago mario created deluxe is like here's everything from the best mario kart mario odyssey like every new game even if it was like 
you know, from Zelda to Mario Kart in terms of like critical importance mm-hmm. uh, was was like a five out of five. So I kind of I didn't know if Mario Party was going to get the same glow up, but it seemed like the fact that it wasn't called Mario Party 16 for one meant that they were like kind of <laughs> softly rebooting it. The, the train from hell was gone and uh, it was fine. It, it was very OK. Like, I think that the um, the actual mini games were kind of fun. Uh, and I did like the uh, there was a mechanic where like you got a cell phone and you called up another character who would be like your partner in the in the board. And like that got wildly out of control because like, some person would end up with like eight Mario characters, like just steamrolling the, the, the game. Yeah. But the thing was like there were only four maps and it just felt a little bit. It did actually feel a little bit unfinished. I thought that word gets used so oftenly and unfairly. Yeah. But in the case of Super Mario Party, I do think it felt like there could have been more here. Uh, especially because it's $60 and still is $60 and it's still being marketed. I'm very bitter that I bought it because I thought the All-Stars game was going to be DLC and it wasn't. Yeah, I always assumed that Super Mario Party was going to be the foundation upon which they would release a bunch of free DLC, like what they're doing with Mario Golf, for example. Uh, It it felt like they were going to add more stuff uh, and instead they just made a whole different game for $60. (laughs) They just unceremoniously left it behind. Just bailed it. Bailed on it, yeah. So I was like, I'm not going to, I don't want to have spent $120 on Mario Party in the year Mm -hmm. 2020. So thankfully, Bobby bared the burden and got All-Stars and it's a blast. I think if you're looking for a Mario Party game on Switch, this is so clearly the one to get. I mean, you only have two options, but like this is being a best of the older games, even without the nostalgia, like it just feels like it's notable that there's better design in the older ones than there was in even Super Mario Party, which yeah. was like a step away from nausea, but still was like not great. This is is showing that the early games like did have more thought put into the boards and into the mini games. Um, there's still some stuff where like. So in uh, back in my day in Mario Party One, uh, the bonus stars were the coin star. Someone would get a, a bonus star if they had the most coins at any point in the game. The game star, where if you won the most mini games, you would get a bonus star. And the happening star, uh, which was if you landed on the most question mark spaces, you got a, a star. So the happening star was just chance. It was sort of like the luck variable. But the other two, you could reasonably try to get and yes. would get and would inform your victory. In still, I don't know if this is an option to turn off or not, but the bonus stars are random. So it's like the Wario won because I landed on a space. And again, these games are even the good ones are all luck. I know that. It's like arguing with the reflection at this point. But <laughs> let me vent. There was a space where it was chance time and I gave all my coins to Wario, of course. And then the two bonus stars were unlucky star, which meant you landed on the most red space. Yeah. And item star that you use the most items. And I won the most mini games. And Toad rubbed it in at the end. Toad like compliments every player on what they did the best. And he's right. like, oh, wow, like you... You won the most and you got fourth place. Huh? That's cool. <laughs> like, yeah, Toad, sick game you're running here. So all that to say, this is the kind of drama you want in these games. You do want the bullshit. You don't want this to be a good game. You want it to be Mario Party. And I think yeah. it's perfect for that. That's kind of, so, uh, I, I should mention, I, I got this game uh, a while ago. Uh, I got it. I got it when it came out specifically because we were having a bunch of people over. And I was like, I just, yeah. just want to have the switch plugged into a TV around uh, my partner's birthday season. So when people come over, we could just be like, hey, we do have Mario Party if that's a thing you want to do. And uh, I've played a bunch of rounds of it so far. My feeling on it generally 
generally speaking, is that it is aggressively fine. Like it's 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 perfectly <laughs> passable as sure, a yeah. Mario Party game on the Switch. If you really love Mario Party and you have any nostalgia for the N64 or the first GameCube one, yeah, this this will this will serve that nostalgia. But I would say really only pick it up if you like really, really want it. I, I'm glad that I have it on my Switch, but I'm never going to go out of my way to play it unless somebody else mentions it. You know, it's kind of where I've landed. Um, yeah. And uh, and that's that's kind of almost as much as I have to say about it. Like it's I feel like Super Mario Party was like a step below aggressively fine, you know, and this one <laughs> this one at least has matched my expectations for what I want out of a Mario Party game, but doesn't really do anything to, I guess, like get a leg up on what the franchise could be and evolve into. Yeah, because so I many guess- times they've tried to do that, right? Like everything past Mario Party four. That's all the stuff that came out on GameCube after all the stuff that came out on the Wii, all the stuff that came out on the Wii U. And there's been handheld versions of Mario Party for every handheld that's existed as well since the Game Boy Advance. None of them have managed to recapture what the first four did really in a way that I I would say made people say it's like a must buy. Um, So I think like saying, okay, we're just going to make Mario Party one through four smashed up together. That's fine. That's like base level. Like that's what I want out of a Mario Party game and I'm glad I have it and I've enjoyed every round I've played so far even if they're like wildly bullshit but that's also the experience of Mario Party. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I mean. I think even when I say that the early games were were good, they are still that. Like, I don't think the series has ever been like I don't want to say ever been good, but it's like it's always been that level of like benign bullshit that's fun, you know? Yeah, right. Um It's an excuse to I, hang out with your friends in person. Yes. Yeah. I do think, though, that there is potential. I mean, I think Jackbox is a good comparison point where, like, yeah. a lot of those games are, like, well-tuned and well-thought-out. Every now and then there's one where it's like, you're a monster next door and you have to make breakfast. It's like, what is, like, what do I, what is this? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the simpler ones, like, uh, Fibbage or Quiplash are fantastic and, like, always, always a hit. Yeah. The thing is that this game, and I think Super Mario Party as well, almost scratched the surface of online support and the ability to play with that many people. Like... That stuff does exist. But for example, if like my partner and I wanted to play with you online, we can't do that. Like we can't both join an online game. It would have to just be one of us, you know, (laughs) and it's just like that Nintendo getting in the way of itself. Yeah. Kind of scenario. And and this is such an unfortunate one to have that be the situation because uh, a, a heavier focus on online play might actually make this game more enjoyable across the board, I think. Yeah, I do think if you're looking for a party game in general, I would more quickly point to uh, Monkey Ball, Banana Mania or WarioWare Inc. Uh, for Switch. Yeah. I think that those two are like or like Mario more, Kart, like everyone knows Mario- how to play Mario oh, yeah. Kart. Right, exactly. So like but I do think again if you have a nostalgia for the series, this is like a fun time. It's a fun evening, but I don't know. Yeah, I I'm I'm basically with you uh yeah. on on it. I I'm, I'm definitely being like mostly cold on it. I just feel that if if you are a person who very much wants a Mario Party on your Switch, this is the one to get of the two that exist. Yeah, totally. Unless you really like the stake mini game. Uh, that that's like weirdly the best use of HD rumble and motion controls <laughs> that Nintendo has ever done. Uh, cooking a cube of steak, but yeah, I, I think uh, I think I think All Stars would have been better served. Not even like they do incorporate some Super Mario Party DNA in that the mm-hmm. bonus stars are random, and that's like it's the one thing 
It's the one thing that's like skill based in this game and you took it away. <laughs> We're left with just a cloud now. It's just it's just chaos. There's no uh but it, again, it's Mario Party. I can't really ask too much of it. So yeah. It's a fun time. Anyway, wanted to bring up Mario Party Superstars. That's the one. Mario Party Superstars for Nintendo Switch. Some other stuff, because we alluded to it last week, and I feel like I should bring it up. Yeah. We said this was gonna be the week of uns and and fives. So I just want to mention I've played through unpacking. Uh, that game is great. I think we'll probably talk about it like for real. Uh, when yeah, you- I just started it the other night, but I haven't, um, I haven't gotten very far, but I'm already very intrigued by it. Yeah. Yes, it is wonderful. I think you're gonna like it a lot. I think we're gonna have a fun discussion about it when you've played more of it. So, uh, yeah. stay tuned for that. The other one I did want to touch on a little bit more in depth is Shimigami Tensei five, which is finally mm-hmm. out after, yeah. uh, you know, c- c- classic Atlas shit. Like they announced that game in like 2016 or something and it's, you know, finally out, <laughs> um, or I guess they, I think they announced it when the Switch got announced, something like that. Like they announced it was coming to the Switch. Although we've now learned that it's going to show up on PlayStation and PC eventually. Well, that's cool. Probably next year at some point. But anyway, uh, I've been playing that game and I like it a lot. <gasps> I like it a whole oh, lot. Yeah. Uh, I'm very surprised because I'm a, per- we've talked about this in the past, but like I'm a fan of Persona, but I've never finished any of them. <laughs> Like I, I've started and played through a lot of Persona, I guess three, four and five. I've played a lot of three, four and five, uh, but, you know, have never managed to finish any of them. Uh, always wondered what Shimigami Tensei would be like, you know, as a fan of Persona and went back and tried playing three Nocturne when that got re-released on the Switch. Yeah, we talked about it a bit. There's some like really cool, interesting shit going on in that game. But at the oh, end yeah. of the day, it like did not grab me and hold me and I did not finish it. Um, I, I played about as much as I played for that episode. And that was kind of it. Um, I never really kept going. I was a little bit nervous about Shimigami Tensei 5, but I was like, it's 2021. There's been a lot of time between what they tried to do in Nocturne and what they're doing now. They've also succeeded a lot with uh, what they've managed to pull off with the Persona franchise. Like, it feels like it feels like now is the time to check out Shimigami Tensei. And uh, it's really working for me. But big, big asterisk here. I am about five to six hours in. And I have seen not an inkling of story or any idea of really what the game is about or trying to say. And I like that to a certain extent. I do think that will be the thing that will turn a lot of people off. Strangely, I mean, the game the game opens the same way all the Shin Megami Tensei games do, from what I understand, which is like you're a kid who goes to high school and you think it's going to be Persona for five seconds, then the world ends. Uh, yeah. And uh, the next five hours of gameplay for me have been uh, I fused with like a robot angel and became like some kind of new super being. Uh, I am essentially capturing demons as if they were Pokemon and having them fight alongside me. And I'm exploring the desolate wasteland of what used to be Tokyo uh, with really no understanding of why or or what is happening or what has happened or who I am or who anyone else is that I'm speaking to. There's not a single inkling of story so far. And what I have found is that I think the game is a settling you into this apocalyptic wasteland, right? They want you to feel clueless. They want you to feel lost. They want you to feel like the protagonist, which I think is successful. It also serves as just like an extremely long tutorial, I think. I think the game is spending a lot of time asking me to really lock into what they're trying to do from like a monster collection and combat perspective. So by the time the story does get going, I won't have to spend all this time trying to understand how to play the 
game because I've already done that in this opening section. That's been my read on it. I don't know if that's actually the case. Uh, yeah. But again, I think I think that's going to turn a lot of people off. The game is also crushingly difficult. It's worth mentioning. It's I've seen a lot of people talk about that and they're absolutely right. Like you will go into combat and if you don't get a monster's weakness right on the first hit, it's very possible that you will just get like destroyed. And uh, the game also is not very, I would say it's not very interested in letting you save a lot. There's no autosave in here. So if you get wiped out, you just get kicked back to whatever the last time you saved was. And that, you know, could be hours ago. Uh, I've been very, very liberal about how often I've been saving and running back to the save point and saving very frequently. But if you don't do that, if you're not playing that way, you're going to lose a lot of progress. And that's kind of a bummer. But all of that said, I mean, it sounds it sounds really rough, but I'm liking it a lot for reasons I I almost can't wrap my head around. I'm enjoying the mechanics a lot. I'm enjoying grinding a lot. And the little, little tidbits of story that I've gotten have been enough to say like, okay, I'll, I'll keep going. Like right now, my, my goal for the past five hours has been to make it to Tokyo Tower. And I've been very, very, very slowly inching my way towards that. And, you know, fighting a couple bosses here and there and and doing some stuff that I really have no understanding of. But uh, it's been challenging, but not so challenging that I feel like I I can't do it. That's good to know. Yeah, I mean, I... My experience with SMT is also much less than Persona. Um, And for those who don't really know what the difference is, like Persona, you have a party of characters that can all like summon their Persona. And a lot of the Personas that you encounter in 5, for example, are like the demons that you can recruit in all the SMT games. So like they're all sort of like different interpretations of characters from folklore and religion. Yeah. (laughs) So like the archangel Michael would just be a recruitable Pokemon. (laughs) It really is like, I remember in the early nineties, there was this like worry that Pokemon was satanic. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, And it's like, you should have been looking at SMT because it actually was, I am teaming up with Lucifer to fight God for real. Um, But it's it's essentially like you're you're recruiting the demons you encounter to potentially fight alongside you. And from what I know of the series, like the story does usually come second to the mechanics. Like it is it is a mechanic first type of game. Not to say that there aren't interesting stories. I think that um, I've only really played Nocturne. I played more of it than you. And I, I had a similar thing where like I really I was excited to finally check out the series and to see what it did differently than Persona. I've also heard great things about SMT4 on the 3DS. On the it seems 3DS, like yeah. prior to 5, 4 was like the best entry point. But Nocturne just had a really strong sense of atmosphere that I think worked in place of a more direct narrative for me. I liked the the setting and the like kind of unsettling vibe of it um, mixed with this sort of like campiness of like talking to demons who were like weirdly casual with me and then recruiting them yeah on the flip side i I found three to be almost like so early 2000s hot topic (laughs) edgy cold that like i i I found nothing to attach to even even in conversations with demons to try and recruit them i was like i don't think this is enough for me and it and it for some reason is in this game it feels very similar. I understand why they re-released three now on the Switch because and yeah. we kind of we kind of hinted at this or, or or guessed at this while we were talking about three on that episode, uh, whenever that was. But this idea that like re-releasing three on the Switch is almost preparing people for five because they're yeah. kind of you know five is a little bit of a spiritual sequel to what three was trying to do. I don't know anything about four. It's very possible that was also the case. But this does feel a lot like three. Just I think succeeds in a lot of the places that I. Th- 
I personally felt like three failed for me uh, personally. I know people love all these games. I mean, they're like diehards for these games, but uh, yeah, but but five to me so far is giving me everything I hoped I was going to get out of three. Uh, and I've already played a lot of it. And I'm re- I'm really surprised at how much I played, considering how little I've been given from a narrative perspective. It's so interesting to think about this series, too, because I think weirdly, I mean, I'm always thinking about Farm Through Houses, but <laughs> Farm Through Houses was a game that was very much um, the strength of it was very much the characters and the sort of like social side of it. The yeah. tactics were good, but I think what we talked a lot about with our friend Alana uh, in the Fire Emblem Awakening episode, um, which is such a great time. I think back to that episode constantly. It was so fun. <laughs> but uh, the tactics, like we actually enjoy the sort of tactics side of it more in prior entries. Yeah. And then, you know, in our Game Boy Advance episode, I bring up that like Fire Emblem, uh, you know, the first one that came out in the US, the Blazing Blade. Like that one is is mostly tactics, and I enjoy it for that. Even though the story is is sort of less than what I expect from later entries, like I like that it's focused on that, and I like it for what it's doing. Weirdly, I, I think similar to Persona and SMT, where Persona is very much focusing on a more narrative driven experience with characters that you get to know really well, and the mechanics are sort of like complementing that. Whereas here, it's all about mechanics, and I think that there's a place for both. I I think that. I will never like SMT more than Persona based on my own subjective preferences. Yeah. But I like that a series like Fire Emblem that now has that sort of dual side to it. Different entries can focus on one over the other and then Mm -hmm. audiences who want one over the other can find the game that works for them. I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're serving totally different audiences. And I've seen I've seen a lot of blowback to the way SMT5 has been reviewed in various media outlets, which I I vehemently disagree with because first of all, Persona is like a hugely popular, successful Atlas franchise and is a spinoff of Shin Megami Tensei. So like it would be nonsense to not mention Persona, first of all, in a Shin Megami Tensei review. I think that's wild. But also, I mean, Persona 5 was a hugely, hugely successful game. So there are a lot of people like me who are coming into SMT5 through the lens of, hey, I've enjoyed Persona for the past couple of years. I played four Golden. I played five. I like both of them. Maybe I should check out this thing that it is a spinoff of. And uh, I, I've really appreciated a lot of those reviews. I appreciate the way they were written uh, from that perspective. But at the end of the day, I do think you're right. They are serving very different audiences. And what I'm finding, maybe, and I'm not super sure yet, but I'm excited to play more, is that I might be more of an SMT person than a Persona person. Wow. Because I, I'm locking into the mechanics more than I did with Persona. And I feel less like I'm fucking up, I think. Uh, whereas in Persona, you know, you can like, you can mess up social links. You can like not talk to the right person on the right day and like be gated out of the entire fucking royal DLC, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, SMT is more like, hey, I fused the angel and the demon together and now they're a jack-o'-lantern. And that's pretty cool. <laughs> It kind of goes back again to our Game Boy Advance episode. We're like talking about Advance Wars alongside Fire Emblem. Like yeah. Advance Wars is just the tactics, and you actually prefer that. Like I actually just I like did, when yeah. they just focus on that and don't even pretend to have a story. Yeah. And it sounds like SMT is doing something similar. I mean, I think that like I have an appetite for a game that is like I'm just doing the mechanical side of it. I'm just sort of grinding and experimenting. I think experimentation is the big word for this type of game because it's a lot about like what can you make out of what you have and like, what do you want to improve? And, and there's that sort of um, Pokemon elemental weaknesses going on as well. Like it's a very strong battle system. It's why it's been the bedrock for like 
not only SMT, but also what became Persona. Yeah. I also think it's interesting, too, to look at Persona and, you know, 3, 4, and 5 are kind of lumped together as sort of the modern Persona game because 1 and 2 feel very much more like SMT in tone. Mm. And uh, 3 is like the perfect halfway point, which I think is why a lot of people love 3 is because it has this sort of like moodiness and atmosphere of like the SMT games, but the the focus of Persona. So, yeah, I mean... they. Both can exist, and they. I think even though they do have so many like common elements, I think they are essentially separate games at this point. Yeah, um, separate series. So we get it. <laughs> uh, you're gonna play this game for next week's episode. I'm gonna. My plan. I've heard that the first like ten hours is kind of uh, where the story starts to kick off. So <laughs> I'll I'll be there by next week. Is my hope, and uh, we're gonna talk about that a little bit next week, along with the new Pokemon releases. So we're gonna get like yeah, you know, the uh, heads and tails version of what the Pokemon franchise can be. I guess is the idea <laughs> for next week's episode. Yeah. So yeah, next week uh, I will be playing SMT five unpacking and uh, the diamond and pearl remix brilliant diamond and shining pearl yeah i've also just been playing way more animal crossing which has been such a joy we talked about it last week dude i yeah i've, I've um, played it literally every single day since the 2.0 update came out um yeah. i finished harv's island this morning oh nice congrats i have everybody it's great i uh, i also um i got past in my maddening run of of golden deer and three houses i got past the like make or break mission Nice. So relieved. So um, I want to stream like once I get to the final battle, whenever that is, I want to stream that to kind of cap off the series. Cool. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I got I streamed that battle and uh, the rest I'm going to do off stream. But uh, which also brings up because the uh, Diamond and Pearl remakes are coming out, I'm going to begin my Nuzlocke soon which i cannot wait to do i know i've been talking about it a lot it's because i'm excited okay i did a nuzlocke of pokemon emerald it's kind of around the build-up to our game boy advance episode and that was such a fun stream so i'm looking forward to doing that again my only worry is that i'm like fully prepared for those remakes to not be great like i'm i'm cautiously optimistic but like if they just if they're just like rotten i might be like okay this is fun we'll move on yeah <laughs> i i am i am hopeful enough that they will be fun enough for the interest of that stream i'm curious to see how they'll be as games i i like diamond and pearl it's not like my favorite generation so i don't have like a lot of nostalgia for it but we'll see i'm i'm cautiously optimistic yeah see how it goes i do have a lot of nostalgia for diamond and pearl so i'm very interested to see how i feel about it uh yeah i am also kind of like you though gearing up a little bit to be a little bit iffy on them but we'll see Honestly, Shimagami Tensei is weirdly kind of scratching that itch for me at the moment. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but I, I also alluded to this last week that I was bringing a secret other fifth game in a franchise, which, by the way, I figured this out on stream yesterday. I was streaming Forza Horizon 5 yesterday, and I was talking about all the games that end in 5 that I was bringing to the table uh, for today's episode. Realized Animal Crossing New Horizons is the fifth Animal Crossing game as well. Oh, my God. Which is bizarre. Look at that. Um, but the other game I've been playing on the Nintendo DS is uh, Dragon Quest V. Hand of oh, the Heavenly of Bride, which you love. Yeah. And I am now deep in enough that I'm like head over heels in love with it as well uh, and playing it in a lot of my free time. It's very much my like I'm on the subway or I'm about to go to bed game right now. And that is also strangely a Pokemon adjacent. It energy. is. Yeah. Uh, a lot of monster capturing going on in that game as well. So I feel like between Dragon Quest V and Shin Megami Tensei V, I'm like kind of good on that style yeah. of gameplay. So I'm very <laughs> interested to see how I feel about Diamond and Pearl when they get released next week yeah man uh dragon quest 5 is like like 11 was the game that unlocked the dragon quest fan of both of us and we've been playing more of the series since yeah five i i would 
probably say is my favorite other than 11. But um, that's that's saying a lot because they're all my favorite in their own way <laughs> based on what I'm looking for. But five is a really special journey. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of RPGs that like focus on the elements it is. It's, it's weirdly like I think I brought it up at some point earlier this year, but it does have like Stardew Valley Pokemon energy in it. Mm-hmm. It's like what if you combine the three not to reduce them to three games, but uh, it, it has that sort of focus on family and uh, and um, fatherhood that makes it a really powerful story. Steven, I, I just looked up the uh, exclusive Pokemon for each game, Diamond and Pearl. Tell me. Fill me in. It's fucking brutal, man. Uh, it's it, this. This is worse than it's ever been, actually, in my humble opinion. Okay. I'll say this much. If you play Shining Pearl, your exclusive legendaries are Moltres, Articuno, and Zapdos, along with Lugia. And then if you play Pokemon Brilliant Diamond, your exclusive legendaries are Suicune, Entei, Raikou, and Ho-Oh. So they're, they're splitting up the birds and the dogs, which is interesting. Shit, okay. And that by itself is kind of a lot for me to deal with. And then, you know, I, I could go down the list, but that that was the big one for me. Because I, I was dead set on getting Brilliant Diamond because I played Diamond back in the day, but now I kind of want the birds. And I also am a big Lugia fan. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah Lugia is pretty cool. I'm like kind cool of guy. legendaries. I like common types. <laughs> 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 we'll see, though. I, I think I might... Um, I, I think I played Pearl back when it came out, so we'll see what I go with. But yeah. uh, I, I am really excited to do that stream. I think it's going to be a good time, and I think uh, I think they'll at least be solid. I, I think that it would take a lot for them to be like disasters. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I agree. So we'll see how it goes. There are no Grand Theft Auto trilogy remastered editions. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Sorry, that was like a yawn and a scream. I loved it. I feel like that's how we've been ending those episodes. <laughs> recently and otherwise uh in terms of stuff i'm playing i i'm just i'm still preparing for the game of the year episode so that means like checking out stuff that's like coming out before the year wraps up and also revisiting older games and uh also preparing for our tales of arise bonus episode which will come out later this month there's a possibility that that episode might come out in like early december i think you and i both decided that we're not going to do a bonus in december just to kind of have like a bit of a break for the holidays and also like the game of the year episode is kind of the bonus spiritually of december yeah so like we're going to focus on that above like all else but then we'll be back in january with the normal routine i have a full-time nine to five job and then i also have a full-time six to eight job which is staring at my game of the year list and deciding <laughs> what game goes in what uh what number yeah i'm i'm almost at the the thing about tales of arise is that uh i feel like every time i play it it gets longer <laughs> it's the quicksand of yeah games. it, it yeah. really like i keep thinking that i'm almost done with it and then i'll go check a guide and it's like no nah, man you got a long way to go so i've been uh mostly focusing on finishing that i've been playing a lot of games this week which uh which has been nice but all that said uh i'm excited to uh excited to keep recording the show in the lead up to go yeah man because that's gonna be a fun episode i'm in full like be thankful winter mode it's snowing i'm thinking about this year and what we've done with it and uh, i feel excited yeah it's also just like in terms of like game of the year stuff like in the discord i i usually make a poll for everyone to vote for like what their favorite games of the year were and a lot of people were saying like oh well, i haven't really played a lot of games from this year but i played this this and that and it made me reflect on like how much you and i have played this year in particular that wasn't from 2021 not in a way of like detracting from the goatee episode but i'm just like it's just so cool that we got to experience stuff like eco 
and Dragon Quest XI and yeah. Mother 3 and like all these really incredible games for the first time this year. So I'm just like very like I'm just I'm very happy we do this show and I'm very thankful for this time I have with you. Yeah, big, big same. Yeah, I, I think looking back on this year, I think the eco Shadow of the Colossus experience is like one that I will cherish for a long time. Yeah. And Mass Effect as well. Can't forget that. Yeah, uh, that was fucked up. <laughs> um cool uh before we wrap up i want to do one i want to mention one quick thing um Please. if you're on tiktok go follow it's video games it's a thing i've been doing a little bit recently uh i won't say much more than that but it's there it's video games oh, yeah. all one word and uh that having been said thank you so much for listening to the show uh if you want to back us on patreon we have a patreon it's patreon.com slash into the cast uh thank you to everybody who's doing that as we say every yeah, week thank you if so much. back in the show in any way uh negatively impacts you financially please do not back the show it's totally cool if you need to change or cancel your uh funding at any moment it's totally fine but thank you to everybody who's been doing that it's allowing us to check out more stuff there are actually a couple of things that i think steve and i are going to pick up to play using that patreon money which will uh, allow the goatee episode to be even more jam-packed with yeah gaming goodness there's um, also, um, in terms of like stuff we make, like patron episodes, um, if you back the Patreon at any time, you'll have access to that backlog. Yes. And uh, we're, we've taken a stance now where like we are somewhat erect. Like, there's no set schedule for when we make a patron episode, but we've been more, <laughs> ever since we decided, like we said that, we've been ironically more active. Yeah. It, it, it will range between like we want to maybe talk more about one thing we already touched on or maybe we want to like, you know, something that kind of is in this sort of middle ground between a bonus or maybe something we already covered on the show. And every now and then we'll have like a more concrete kind of big idea. Like we had the making of the Aether episode and I have something kind of in the works that I think will probably be early next year that I'm very excited about. Yeah. So keep your eye on that space. And again, like, thank you all who, who back it. We've seen a, a rise in the support and it, it's it's wild to see. And just thank you so much. It allows the show to grow. Also, I think we're in the process of working on merch in some way. Yeah, I'm trying to get that going this month. That's my plan. My, my hope is towards the end of the month as we get closer to uh, the American holidays of Thanksgiving. My, my plan is to use that time off to get the merch store going. So uh, fingers crossed for that. But if not, it'll be December. I mean, the plan is this year. Uh, yeah. Speaking of rising support, um, if you want to help the show grow in a non-financial way, just sharing it with a friend is the best way to make that happen. Thank you so much, everybody who does that. We honestly, we do get a lot of messages from people that are like, oh, my friend showed me the show. That is actually like the way it works. So thank you so much, everybody who does that. Yeah, I think referrals are... Referral sounds like weirdly medical, but that is like the number one uh, like driver of of new listeners. We're not paying for Times Square billboards out here for the Aether. I'll say that much. Uh, We're not paying for any billboards for the Aether, but maybe we should pay for a billboard for the Aether. That'd be very funny. Uh, Yeah, it's turkey time into the Aether. (laughs) I do. I very frequently feel that a Times Square billboard is just for vanity, not for actual like oh shit acquisition of of like users or paying subscribers uh every time i'm in times square and i'm like looking around at the billboards that are there i'm like this is for you this isn't for you're not actually trying to increase the sales of this thing you're just doing it to say that you had a times square billboard totally but yeah sharing with a friend helps also if you want to go on apple Podcasts and write a review that's also helpful we've seen some new ones thank you for your kind words that's about it into the cast.online is our hub for our links so if you want to catch streams they happen 
that's where to go. Like I said, uh, the Nuzlocke will be starting soon, and that might be like a weekly thing. Might be on and off depending on the schedule because it might get busier around the holidays. But um, if you follow us on Twitter, we'll let you know like when those are happening. Yeah. And if you follow us on Twitch, you'll get alerted. So it's probably yeah. the best place to follow us. Yeah, Steven's doing uh, big streams like that. I find that I, I, I tend to do more like low key, just kind of go live whenever streams. So uh, I, I usually don't back those up to the YouTube very frequently. So uh, the only way to watch is to be subscribed to the Twitch channel. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much to everybody who's been joining those. And I do also want to uh, mention, actually, I have nothing. I, I thought I had something else, but I don't. So that's going to be it. That's it. That's all I have. I'm pooped. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I am Stephen Hilger. You find me at Stephen Hilger. Oh, I'm Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. Thank you, AJ, for producing and editing this episode. We'll catch Thank you all you, AJ. later. Bye. Follow AJ's later. Twitch. Workplay vibe on Twitch. Spanky. Wait. <laughs> Sorry, what'd you say? I was talking over Oh, I was just plugging AJ's Twitch channel while you were saying spanky into the microphone. Yeah, that's, what, that's why as I loud to... as possible. <laughs> that's why I wanted to redo this. Workplay by I wanted on a Twitch. proper plug for our good You're friend. still doing it! No, just, <laughs> bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Garbage, the online.